It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. It's Saturday. That means it's another edition of the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva and uh, Joe Bono here on this October the 3rd, a little earlier edition of the Watchdogs. Hope everybody's doing well. If you want to listen to the show live on replay, go to the uh, website, weekendwatchdogs.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media at jbono611. And you can get the show on iTunes at any time or go to the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. Joe, how you doing? We are uh, getting ready for a lot of stuff. Last week we had the, uh, the champagne on ice. We had the all the, uh, the plastic on the walls of our studios. That uh, celebration has come and gone. The Yankees had their celebration. We are less than a week away, days away from a wild card playing game, less than a week away from Mets-Dodgers. Who knows where that's going to be. Uh, Jets in London, week four NFL, big game for the Giants, getting back into the NFC East race. And we probably won't have time to talk about it, but even the Knicks are back in training camp. So sports in New York heating up, and uh, baseball is at the front and center of it. What's going on with you? We have never done a show like this. We've never done a show where two baseball teams are now primed and ready for the postseason. Actually, since we've gotten together, because the Yankees have been out of the postseason the last two years, we've never got an opportunity to talk New York playoff baseball, and we get to do it I've a never lot. Done now, it. by the time we talk next week, you know, the Mets series will just have started, and the Yankees could be done. So we'll see what happens next week uh, when we Coming get started. Down. But, um, you know, it was fun. We had the champagne on ice Saturday. We figured it was going to happen. Um, as the uh, Mets played the Reds on Saturday. Quick little story. You know, I think this is what happens when you live in the you know, bougie neighborhood, as you would say, that I live in. It was so hard to find any place that would be excited about the Mets clinching. So I go to a place that's kind of like a hybrid. It doesn't know what it wants to be, restaurant, <laughs> sports bar. It's got like four games on, but it's a restaurant. So they won't put on the volume. At all. They won't. I'm asking the waitress, can I have, like, champagne? They're like, we don't have champagne. We have Prosecco. Ah! I'm like, okay, close enough. You went we'll by yourself? Prosecco. You went by yourself? I was, with, I was with two other people, okay? Okay. And we're cheering. We're counting down the outs. And I could see, like, the managers getting annoyed. Like, people are in your place excited. And the guy's getting annoyed. So I go, listen, can you, fu- can you please put on the volume for, like, the last out for us? Just the last <laughs> out. You lower the music. <laughs> Like they had the cran, it's like an Irish pub. They got like the cranberries playing right. in the background. We right. have Sinead O'Connor, Sinead and O'Connor, I'm telling right. you, he put the volume on, would not lower the music, so you could be- barely hear it. And when Familia gets the strikeout, I'm talking, Mike. It was a half a second. He grabbed the remote and and lowered the volume on the, a sound that you couldn't even hear. Unreal. Anyway. I wouldn't go back to that establishment if I were you. That would be the last. One time guy I'd walked say. out. One guy joined us in the seventh inning. I actually got him a glass of, of the Prosecco. They were cleaning the champagne bottle glasses. They had four, including him, a guy I just met that day. And when they were, like, wishy-washy and putting the volume up, he said, you guys are a joke, and he left. That's what he – he was mad at you? No, no, he was mad at the establishment oh, because they wouldn't on the volume. So I had actually said, you know what, what I mean, like, no this guy's a Mets fan, too. There's no apple, <laughs> no apple trees around here. No, no. I just, you know what? This is the problem, Joe. You should have had the two pr- friends you had over have them over to your apartment and do it at home. You know, that's, you know, yeah, that's I was thinking I, that. I had it. I was in my uh, new humble abode and I just sat and I watched and 
you know, took it in. And I just, I think the thing for Mets fans, and, and we have a couple of really good guests today. We, uh, we have Chris Corelli of SNY. He'll talk about the Yankees at about 940. Uh, we're hoping to have Greg Prince of the very uh, famous Faith and Fear and Flushing. also had a, a, a book by the same name. Join us to give some thoughts uh, about what this Mets uh, NL East championship meant to him. You just take it in. I mean, I think part of anybody who has rooted for the Mets over, you know, at least since you know, two, you know, the last 15 years, all the thoughts that went through your head that at that point, although you haven't accomplished the ultimate goal, it's step one. It's an important step. Nothing really that happened before mattered. And what I mean by that is the 07 collapse doesn't matter anymore. And, and Willie Randolph's being fired and all that nonsense doesn't matter anymore. And Tony Bernazard abusing minor leaguers doesn't matter anymore. And Omar Minaya versus Adam Rubin doesn't matter anymore. And some of the uh, you know back and forth that you know I think everybody has had with Sandy Alderson and how he's gone about building the team doesn't matter anymore. And the Madoff and the Wilpons, you know, that gets put to the back burner. As a matter of fact, I think that's the biggest part of all this, that since the 31st, for the first time in probably five years, you're not talking business and finance and Madoff and reading stuff in the paper about minority owners buying these, you know, what I feel are you know, BS uh, minority shares so that the Wilpons can raise some capital. You're actually talking about baseball. Now, since they clinched, Steven Matz has had a back injury. You almost lost Cespedes for the year. Um, you, know, you don't know uh, how things are going to line up with home field. I, I still think that it would have been nice if they would have taken one of those Philadelphia games. A little one bit game against the worst, game, worst team in the league. I mean, I understand having a letdown after you leave Cincinnati. Now, listen, they came back. You know, with that lineup on that Sunday afternoon after they clinched, and they had the another dominating bad. performance. I thought Sunday was going to be like the Dodgers had their lay, lay uh, hangover game. I thought Sunday was a loss. I had that pegged as well. They wanted to blow that game out, and they can't win a game against the Phillies. I understand the Thursday game. They wanted to get out of there. You know, obviously the game there at five nothing. That's the game that uh, uh, that you want them to win. But look, they win three games. You got to think with the weather, with everything going on, and it looks like uh, Hurricane Joaquin will stay out of the tri-state area. You think that they'll be able to win a couple of games at least this week, and if not all three, the Nationals are not going to be interested in this series. The Nationals probably well, also, party. But, but Mike, double header, double header is tough to sweep. I don't care what point of the season, I don't care what's yeah, on I the know. line there. A double header, you're not going to play a lot of these guys. Maybe San Diego back to back double headers, you're not going to do it. So to me. Look at the Mets trying to win two out of the next three games and hope the Dodgers slip one of the next two days and, and the Padres beat them once at home. So you got to do what you got to do. You know, you made your bed. There's been a lot of games. This is where, you know, today's not mm-hmm. the day for it. And I've laid off the guy, even though he made a, a bonehead move against the Phillies on Wednesday. This is where all those games where, you know, Collins just does bizarre things in game and they blow games and, that they blow. This is where they and come Mike, back listen, to play, and that's why I, I preach about this, and people get mad at me for that. I'm not overly into home field advantage when it comes into Major League Baseball, and Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal, who we've had on the show, posted the stats that actually the team that's had home field advantage in the divisional series has actually won less than the team that has, has, home, has had home field advantage. With that said, though, if there was ever a series because of the makeup of the series, the opposite ends of the coast, and the two Dodger pitchers in Kershaw and Granke. To me, this was a series where it is important to have home field advantage. 
they play really well at home, the Dodgers. But here's the bottom line. Shadows, no shadows, I don't care. You're going to have to beat those guys, and those two guys are going to pitch three or five games at least, whether it's at City Field or on the road. And I'll tell you what, I'll throw you a little nugget here that I've been thinking about. The Mets haven't really played well at home for a while. Since Cespedes joined the team, for as good as they played, they've been more of a road warrior team than a home team. The gap between home and road record has shrunk compared to earlier in the year. I mean, they were awful on the road earlier in the year. It shrunk, and um, to me, they, they'll probably play a little tight at home. Maybe the fans will be too juiced. I think we talked about this with the Islanders when we, when, when we were at um, Game 3, was it, uh, at the Coliseum, and, and I told you, I said, you know, that fan base left all their energy in a parking lot. Now, hockey and NBA are different sports than baseball, but I think I always remember this, and this is not a Mets story, but it's a recent story, and I think you could appreciate it. And I don't think the Mets fans will have this reaction. But in 2008, when Lou Pinello was the manager of the Cubs, and they had, if I'm not mistaken, I can look it up here, they had one of the best records in the league. I know they had home field in the uh, NLDS against the Dodgers. And everybody knows the curse of the Billy Goat and all the things the Cubs have gone through because of Bartman back in 2003. But when game one started, when they played the Dodgers, I remember turning on the television, if it was on Fox or whatever, and that crowd was so tight. The Cubs crowd, I said, Cubs are losing the series. I knew right away. And the Cubs I don't think tight the Mets crowd would be tight. I think the Mets crowd, if they were hosting games one and two Friday and Saturday night, would be exuberant, especially game one, I think, that being the case. Now, listen, in these type of games, when you're going to have the pitching matchups, and, you know, it looks like DeGrom's going to pitch Sunday if the game means something. So you have, an, you have a situation where DeGrom may pitch Sunday, be on normal rest, and pitch again Friday, pitch two consecutive games and for the Mets. And might actually come back, now you're hearing, on short rest in game four so they don't have to go to Cologne or Nice because well, of the Well, depending on the way the series is, whether or not they're trailing ahead, whatever it may be. Um, but you, when you're facing someone like Clayton Kershaw or Zach Greinke, you give up that early run, you know, that 2 nothing feels like 5 nothing, and, and that's where maybe the tension can change. Um, but also you can see how he can kind of just run away with the game. I mean, Kershaw is on top of his game. I mean, he could say he's been on top of his game now for three-plus years. But at the same time, he just threw a one-hit shutout to clinch the division against their arch-rivals on the road. So Look, you are he's facing, pitching as though, good as he has at any point this season. From an historical perspective right now, you're facing, basically, if Mets fans want to go back into the history books here, you're facing Oral Hershiser three out of five games. Maybe better than Hershiser. Well, Hershiser went on that scoreless streak. He was pretty darn good. Um you're going to have to the, – the recipe for winning against the Dodgers is simple. Let's assume they're not going to bring back, and we can look at the schedule right now, how this is going to play out. They're not going to bring back one of those guys for short rest in, in game four. And, you know, I, I have to see how that would work four and five. But you are going to have to face them at least three times. You're going to have to win one of those games, and you're going to have to be perfect in the non-Kershaw Grinky games which you could be. Now, if you have Cologne or Nice in one of those games, probably Cologne, you're going to need some bullpen help. The thing about Cologne, and, and Collins has really got to get that through his head, Cologne is never about pitches. Cologne is about times around the order. You're going to get twice. Once you'll get really good. Twice, hold your breath as you get to 7, 8, 9, and then that's when you really got to be on high alert the third time around the order. He gives a hit. 
and he doesn't look good or the, or the outs start to become loud, you've got to get him out of there. This is, I don't care if there's line drive, you know, one, two, three inning. If the la- outs are loud, you've got to get Colon out of there. And that's, that's the thing about Colon. He'll go like this. And if it goes like this in a playoff game, three, four runs, it's over. You're not well, coming back. Let's see if it gets to that where Colon's got a pitch game four. Because Steven Matz has had such a strange type of uh, debut season here because he's now been up with the team, you know, really since June. And yet he's had these setbacks and his injuries, and every time he comes back, he pitches, he pitches well. It's not like he's gone through – we haven't seen Steven Matz get beat up once in any start or really go through any difficulty on the mound or go through a slow down period like we have with even DeGrom this year, and Harvey this good. year, and Syndergaard this year. He hasn't been on his game since he came back, but he's been good. But you could tell he's been off. He, he's, been, he oh, he's been and good he's enough been, to still win games, you know, six innings, take it. seven innings, yep. two runs. I mean, he really liked the stuff that he had in Cincinnati, even though he gave up three runs, which I think was the first time he had done that. But I'm just saying, he hasn't gone through that period like Syndergaard did this year, where there were two or three consecutive starts where he got beat up a little bit. And he's had these nagging injuries, and they're all, you know, he pitches so well at L.A. in that game, and then all of a sudden he's got the lat, he's out for over a month. And then he pitches good, felt like he had a really good fastball in Cincinnati. And again, the Mets, I mean, here we are complaining about them in, in September, October, about to go in the postseason. But again, jumping the gun, oh, he'll be back in a couple of days. He slept on the wrong side of the bed. And now you're worried about him making a start here before the end of the year. And now his, his slot in the opening rounds of the playoffs is up, is up in there, up in the air. Here's the interesting thing if you're the Dodgers. So I, I'm looking at the schedule right now because if the Mets could do the DeGrom thing early, you know, certainly they can, uh, the Dodgers could play something very similar. You've got Friday and Saturday. Forget where they're playing. Nine, October 9th and 10th. So you've got your DeGrom and somebody else, whether it's Harvey or Syndergaard. Let's say Harvey. You know it's going to be Kershaw and Grinky those two days. That's the 10th. You're off on Sunday, so no, no, no baseball for, you know, at least the National League on Sunday. The Yankees are in. The Yankees will play. Monday you come back for game three, so that's the 12th. So you've got to go with a new pitcher. Nobody's going to be able to come on two days rest. Now the 13th, Kershaw has 10, 11, 12, so he has three days. He could come back on the 13th, and then winner take all Thursday could be Granky. Granky would pitch Saturday, 11, 12, 13, 14. Uh, yeah, I mean, he'd be on decent rest. That's uh, 11, 12, 13, 14. Yeah, he'd be on regular rest for that Thursday winner take all game. So you're going to face these guys four times. I can't see any scenario, unless they are concerned about bringing Kershaw back on short rest. You're going to face these guys four times. You're going to face somebody else once. You've got to win that game. So here's the deal. You've got to win. You've got to beat these guys twice. And that's not going to be easy. Um, so, and I tell you what, yes, for, so field for, is City field, for City Field and the Mets fan that's looking to get excited and have a packed house and have some memories be created at that new – at that new stadium, you know, obviously now since 2009, worst case scenario is obviously being down 2-0 and feel like you're almost out of the series for a game three. That would take a lot. Now, the same way if you split and you come back home for game three, the place is going to be crazy. I mean, imagine if they were up 2-0, but um, if they're down 0-2 and lose two very tight games because Granke and Kershaw were just unhittable, uh, that's going to be a very subdued crowd, I think, to start game three. But, We'll see. We got the Mets. But before that, Mike, we have a Tuesday night game, you know, weather permitting, and we'll see what happens with the AL playoff picture with the second wildcard team. But the Yankees get the job done. 
they finally clinch after stumbling, you know, stubbing their toe a few times against the Red Sox. It looks like it's going to be Tanaka, although he didn't pitch well in his last start. Um, it could be Dallas Keuchel. It could be Scott Kazmir. It could be Trout and Pujols. Um, it, it's going to be it's going to be a fun game to watch. I'm not. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not a Yankee fan. Have to deal with the one game playoff, but I think that's going to be a great, great game to watch and a very exciting atmosphere. And I'll be disappointed if the Yankee fans aren't rabid for that to get them into not the be. true playoff. They're not into the. I don't, have you got the impression that they're into any of this? I mean, our our friend Chris Corelli of SNY, who'll be on a little bit, was at the stadium I think last Sunday, and he said the place was kind of. Uh. Now maybe there was a certain inevitability of being a wild card team in that one-game play-in. And I think the question is such, so Keiko pitched yesterday. That's Saturday, Sunday. Unless Hurricane Joaquin plays uh, some games. Yeah, Kathmere will be on full rest. Let's see. So this is so wacky, this whole thing. So Tuesday, that's Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So Keiko could come back on three days rest on, two, on, on Tuesday to face the Yankees. Or, like you said, uh, let me look at who, who's pitching today for the Astros. What, well, what do you think? I'm up in the air about who is the better matchup for the, for the Yankees. Look, the Yankees' recipe, I don't care if they're playing the Mets, Astros, Angels. You've got to get through five or six innings with the lead. Six innings with the lead. Don't care who's pitching. Score enough runs to get the lead, and then hand that ball over for those nine outs. And you got Adam Warren now in the mix. And Adam Warren's a good pitcher. People forget about him a lot. you got Patantes. You've got Miller. And then you could, you know, once you hit that seventh inning with the lead, you're on par with anybody. So maybe that's the way you take it as if you're the Yankees. It doesn't matter who you're, you're, you're playing. You just get the I mean, you got to get the lead. you got to score enough runs. And your pitcher, because there's no offense that they're going to face that they're going to feel comfortable again. So it's not like they can say, well, if I face this team, my starting pitchers could get through. Yeah, he's starting pitching is not really good. And both of those teams could hit home runs. You know, both of those teams have and guys that can hit the ball the out sword. of the ballpark the a lot. Fall into As the Yankees too. can, too. As the Yankees that's can, too. That's a live too, by the sword, die by the sword in the, scenario. The Astros scored, what they scored, 21 runs in the desert last night. And between, obviously, yeah. Correa and Springer and Carter – um, they have ball. They have guys that can, you know, the game can get wrecked real quick, and you could have a three-run homer early in that game. Um, but at the same time, listen, you're, what you're saying is, is exactly true. Tanaka, you hope he's on top of his game. He gets you six good innings. Yankees get some timely hitting, and can you get a one-run lead going into the seventh inning? Get two innings out of Batantis, hand it over to Andrew Miller, and then take your chances as you move forward into the playoffs and hope that some of these starting pitchers get hot. You got Colin McHugh going today. The Astros. There's another. Mm-hmm. I mean, he won't pitch in the playoffs, but they got him going today. Now, when you go to the Angels, that's more of an offensive situation. And let's see. I mean, a better, you know, pretty good manager too. And so, it depends on who you talk to. Some people. So, if you look at their starting pitching, you got um, Hector Santiago, Garrett Richards, Jared Weaver is not the same pitcher anymore. That that rotation. C.J. Wilson's out. Um, you know, they've got an okay bullpen. Our old friend Joe Smith not having a great year. Um, okay year. I mean, the bullpen's okay. Houston Street's their closer. Um, 
you know, it's really, for me, six of one, half dozen of the other. I think they both are teams with warts. Anybody playing in a wild card game, unless they're playing... I would say this. In the National League, your wild card game participants are far more playoff worthy than the American League. I don't really think either the Yankees, Houston, or Anaheim in an up year make the playoffs in the American League. None of those teams. No, I think the Pirates and Cubs are probably two of the better wild card teams that you're going to see that matchup wise. You know, I think when people first, when this whole idea of the second wild card came out, the thought process was, are you going to have these situations where one team wins 96 games, you know, but their division winner wins 100, and then the next team wins 88? That's not what we're having here in the National League. You know, both teams are, you know, 90 win plus teams, very good teams throughout the entire year, both with. Um, top-life starting pitching. I mean, you're talking about Garrett Cole, Jake Arrieta in a one-game playoff. Right. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's tremendous matchup. And then in the AL, listen, all these teams are good teams, but you're talking about high 80s wins teams, um, three of them. You know, Yankees might finish around 90-91, um, all kind of vying for these final spots. You know, the Twins in there, too. And then, obviously, listen, and I think every year we wonder if this is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. But, you know, a playoff game to get to the playoff game. And, and that may happen in this scenario, too, where the Angels and Astros have to play each other. And that's to the benefit, obviously, of the Yankees due to travel and having to use your pitching and your bullpen, et cetera. But um, that, could, that, could work. that could work to the Yankees' favor as well if um, the Astros slip up here a bit, allow the Angels to catch them, and then they got to play on Monday before heading to the Bronx on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, with the Astros, I even look at their bullpen. I mean, they have... Uh... Will Harris is a setup guy. He's had a good year. Luke Gregerson is their uh, is their uh, closer. I mean, that's certainly not anywhere near. Pat Neshek, who had a good year with St. Louis, uh, not quite the same year in that bullpen. Uh, you know, they have Chad Qual. They have, you know, they have a. I mean, look, I think these bullpens are probably just as you know the Mets. I, I can't talk here because the Mets have basically one, you know, guarantee with Familia, and he's inexperienced. So I think everyone's bullpens at play. Look, that's the thing the Yankees have going for them is that they have. Uh, even though Batantis is not playoff-tested, they have probably the best bullpen. Even now with the Royals losing Holland, maybe the Yankees have the best yep. bullpen, nine outs, to get into the postseason, in the postseason. That's what you hang your hat on. They certainly could score some runs. Um, you know, I don't think their offense is great, but you know, they're going to score enough uh, with any other team. Let's so be once honest. you get in the tournament, you get in the tournament. I believe that I, I really want, I have a hard time predicting the game on Tuesday for the Yankees. You've got to go with them because they're home. I don't think they beat the Royals, and I don't think they beat Toronto in a short series. As far as the Mets, I, don't make a, I have to make a prediction, obviously, before the show is out. Having a hard time looking at the tea leaves here and logically saying, I believe the Mets can make it through this series. As much as I, even with home field, Looking at the schedule and digesting it now, facing those two guys four times, even with the offense now that is is you know certainly competitive, I just don't know. Well, I mean, are you? The Mets series. I mean, it's, other the than Mets the series, I wouldn't be thing. surprised with the Mets series. I wouldn't be surprised if they swept, got swept, one in five, lost in five, one in four, lost in four. It really, to me, is a, a, as much of a toss-up series as possible. I would love for the Mets to be clicking on more cylinders and not have these, you know, one bad thing after the other with Mats and with Cespedes and, you know, with all this stuff kind of going on. You know, 
with the you team now what, in Joe, his last Matt days and never... the and losing in the home field. And I just wish they, I wish there was devoid of bad news as the playoffs kind of came around because it looks like the Dodgers are kind of on this upswing. They won and like things are really feel. It's a feel good. I don't know if it's just in the weather and the dreariness and what that Philly series was or the fact that they kind of hit the high note a week ago. But you kind of and it's going to be another week before these playoff series starts. You just hope that the Mets have a nice three games here. Um, before the playoffs start. So nothing would surprise me. I'm tending to agree with you, though, Mike, and I don't want to put too much on experience because what would you rather have? Would you rather have a bunch of pitchers with no playoff experience that are just going to go out there and be fiery and not even have an idea of what the moment means and just go out there and pitch their hearts out? Or would you have a couple of guys who haven't been great in the postseason, although they have experience and have some of the best you know, regular seasons in recent Major League history? Uh, I think you gotta go. Listen, I want Kershaw and Drank and Granky, but that doesn't always work in your favor that way either. Yeah, I mean, you look at it this way. The goal is to win a championship, and I was listening to Francesca talk yesterday, and he's like, "Well, this is," and he basically said the same thing I told you last week. This is the innocent client for the Mets. You never want to punt on any of these these postseason runs because if you didn't. If, if, if there was never more of... What was the innocent climb last year, Mike, for the break. Royals? What was the Royals? That should have been an innocent climb, and they were one game away. They had a game seven at home sure. to win the World well, Series last year, and, and if Madison and, Bumgarner's not on the, on the Giants, they are the World Series champions, let's be honest. And Andy McCullough wrote a good piece over out in Kansas City, covers the Royals now, about that, that one-game playoff and, and how that, that changed everything. Look, I'm looking at Kershaw's... You're right. Wow, look at Kershaw's playoff record. Kershaw was very good against Atlanta in the uh, uh, NLDS in 2013. 1-0, 0.69 ERA, basically one run in 13 innings. Horrible against St. Louis. Horrible against St. Louis back-to-back years. Was not good. I mean, he was a young pitcher in 2009 against the Phillies. Uh, I got to throw the – I got to really throw anything from 08-09. I mean, the guy was 20, 21 years old. But that's another lesson. I mean, here's a guy in 2009 – Pitched against the Phillies when the Phillies went to the World Series. Dodgers were a 95-win team. I mean, Kershaw was every bit the prospect that Harvey and DeGrom and what have you. Guy had a 2.79 ERA. He was 500 that year, but he was really good that season. And he got smacked around the playoffs. So you might see that, like with DeGrom or Harvey. You know, there's no guarantees. That's why this whole thing is a toss-up. I'm not penciling in seven innings of one run or two-run ball for these guys. I don't know. Um... You know, the law of averages says that, that Kershaw is bound to turn this thing around. Now, Granke, um, you know, I, I, even though he's got the better ERA, I almost feel he's the more hittable of the two. Uh, let's see. Granke. The Grom did beat Granke. Granke? Earlier in the year. Well, Granke, he didn't beat him. Um, they uh, both got the no decision. That was that uh, Sunday afternoon game where he had that streak where he hadn't given up a run. The Mets finally got a yeah. run off him. That was kind of disputed, being unearned. Uh, so those guys have already matched up off against each other. He was not good for Milwaukee when he was with Milwaukee in the playoffs in 2011. He was not good, Granke. Uh, that was the year that the, uh, the Brewers required him uh, from the Royals. Uh, does that mid- you know, well, they got hey, him from the Royals. Good pitchers get beat up in the postseason. Average pitchers pitch lights out. Um, it certainly happens. Um, but obviously, I think Kershaw, being a left-hander, what we've seen out of the Mets' right-handed only lineup, and also the fact that Juan Uribe 
And this little chest injury here with the clavicle is not getting any better, and we don't know what his situation is going to be. He was going to be probably a prime candidate to maybe even play second base that game. Who knows? Or he'll obviously be sure. a right-handed bat off the bench in a key spot later in the game. You know, you can now see you Myron Kershaw in the seventh inning and bring him out. Who knows what's going to happen? Dilson Herrera. You might have to take Dilson Herrera, who had a nice game on Sunday, but it's hardly played this year. Uh, young guy and what have you. So uh, a lot of decisions to make. We're uh, we're talking baseball, so if you guys know, we're a little earlier today, 9 to 11, a little earlier show. Chris Corelli of uh, SNY will join us at about 9.40. We hope to have Greg Prince, Faith and Fear in Flushing, at, uh, at 10.20 or that 10 o'clock area, uh, give us some take on the uh, on the Mets and what it means for uh, for him as the uh, the Mets make a return a trip to the postseason. Uh, but let's take a quick break, uh, talk some more baseball here the first hour. We will get to the Jets and the Giants. I know that there's some big week four matchups coming up. And uh, if you want to m- give us a call, the number is 646-716-8187. You're listening to the Week on Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Our abbreviated show, 9 to 11, or earlier show, not abbreviated show, 9 to 11 today. The number is 646-716-8187. Give us a call. We'll be right back. A disagreement between the weekend watchdogs starts with a growl. Money does not matter to them. It doesn't matter if these guys have diminished returns at the end of the contract. They will spend more. Yeah, but you can't build a 25-man roster with the way that the the salaries are going. Leads to a bark. So the New York Yankees are going to go out and sign and make Do a big more. Play. They did this. They're they're done. Extreme, and they're Dojo. not done this offseason. And ends with a bite. <laughs> they can't implement or supplement anybody. Last year's a perfect They can example. with their dollars. You just can't build a team like that. They are building a team like no, that. No, they're going to fall short because they're not going to be able to fill their second base spot, their third base spot. Tune in to the Weekend Watchdog, Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. The Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Early edition of the Weekend Watchdogs here. Week before the playoffs, days before the playoffs, as we're talking playoff baseball. I uh, hope to have uh, Chris Corelli of uh, SNY join us. Chris has joined us throughout the year to talk about the Yankees. Uh, you can tickets came in the mail. Chris. What happened? My tickets came in the mail yesterday. Met well, I actually, I actually wanted to take you to task. Good thing you reminded me. I mean, there's been a lot of people contacting me upset with you because they feel you're rooting for the Mets not to have home field because you want to go to this Islanders game on Friday, and the reality is, whether they're in L.A. or New York, you're going to have a conflict, so I don't know why you're going That's down. That's not true. Trip. You keep on talking about that. There are four games that day. There's always a no late night game. The 10.30 start. I'll put it down now. No chance. My so what game, is going to be the, what, game, what game is going to be the 10.30 start, Mike? Not going to be a 10.30 game. So what time? How, how are we going to have four games? It's either going to be Friday. 5 o'clock or 8 o'clock. If it's in New York, no, it's 5 o'clock. No LA, it's going to be 8 o'clock. No chance. Okay. You're. I mean, I don't know where you get. How are they going to have four well, games on in two separate networks and not have a game that starts at nine forty-five, ten o'clock? Well, how that's early? Little, how early are you going to start to be able to start games start, and not have them overlap each other you like, games significantly? Like at noon. You could have games start at noon on a Friday. Yep. No chance. There's no chance. One no o'clock. Way. Yeah. All even right. if you do that, one to four, four to seven, seven to ten, ten to whatever. Four games. 
And if the Angels are in it, maybe the Angels will be the the, the ten. Angels won't team. host that. Won't host the series that early. That's They'll be true. the wild card team. That's true. Well, you got the Blue Jays, you got the Royals, you've got the why Cardinals. Would they, why wouldn't they? The, why, if I was a te- if I was a television network, and baseball fans in New York are going to stay up to watch the Mets fans in New York will stay up to watch that game on Friday night anyway, and I have a, a LA market. That's not going to pay attention if it's on at four in the afternoon. Against the Mets, I'm not rooting against them. The I'm, just, I'm just telling that for it's a, a dilemma for people games. that have spent. It's a dilemma for people who are Mets fans and spent a lot of money on Islander tickets for a home opener. Yeah. Okay, and you're already so you spent, you're already you spent hundred people spent over hundred dollars, hundred and fifty dollars to go to a home opener because it's the first night ever of the team playing in Brooklyn. It's a big deal. If you're a hockey fan, it's a big deal. And if you have tickets also to the game that's going to happen at City Field, that sucks. That's a dilemma. That's not me rooting against the Yo, Mets. You have to, to not have home field first advantage. Game at but Barclays, it's a first game at Barclays or not, you're going to pass up a baseball player. I didn't team say I was going to pass up. I, if the Mets are at home like and they're on, the, if the Mets are at home and they're on the same time, I'm going to go to the Mets playoff game. Uh, I'm going to go to the Mets playoff decision. game. I'm going to have to sell my tickets. You've made that decision. Yeah, what, you, I mean, what section I'm, are you? I don't think what it's so much of a decision. What I might have the opportunity to be at that Friday game if it's actually the Met home game, but it's section five hundred two. I'm kind of you buy my it's tickets. Not. What? To buy my tickets. How much are your tickets? Where are they? Face value price, and then there's the uh, Mike Silver no, price. Not, you get you get face value. I'm not paying. I'm not paying a premium for those tickets. Now, I'm in like 532. I'm in left field. I'm in left field. I'm up there. So you want to sell those tickets on StubHub or whatever uh, site you're going to go on and have a stranger sit next to you, or you rather have your your partner sit next to you at face value, who's on a budget, by the way. It's not like I have, uh, you know, oodles of cash to spend. You know, I've had to replace three toilets in my house in the last week. <laughs> it's funny. When you buy a house, when you buy a house, nothing leaks. The minute you sign the contract... <laughs> It's like the gremlins find their way out, you know? Only I understand. I'm sure you understand. You could sympathize with that. I actually have I have two pairs of tickets to the game for game two, the second home game. What are the, well, let's, is there what, what website? Is that Seat View that we could go look at? What's the website to go look at Seat? seat? Yeah. I don't know, Vivid Seat, what do you want to, oh, you want to whatever. Get I mean, right now, my section, my section, I'm in section 532, stairs, left field, behind the left fielder in the promenade for the Mets, right? The game one, on, on StubHub, the cheapest ticket in that section is in row 17. I'm in row 15, and it's $172 on StubHub. The face value on that ticket, on the ticket strip, is 45 bucks. Hmm. Well, so there's up, a big I'm looking up. Listen, I'm looking up. Hold on. I'm looking up your seats right now. First, I'm going I'm to section 502. I've never sat up there. I have a I chance to get section 502. I don't think I'm going to be able to see the wall. 502, you're like then, even further me, on the right field side. See, I, then if you can't see, that, what's the point of going to the game? Sell them at, at, above faith. I'll watch it at home. I'm not interested now. I'm serious. I, uh, why would I give up the I don't know what I don't know what I can't see. I'm guessing I might not be able to see the ball go over the wall if it goes over left field. I'll be able to see the left fielder, and they do have that screen on the opposite side. And they have the screen to That's the, left, the one so. thing about City Field, and I understand it's an unavoidable when you have an enclosed portion of the ballpark. 
I feel that that for a new ballpark is unacceptable. There shouldn't be there shouldn't be that block of seats that are wasteful. Like those seats out in the outfield. Again, I don't know. Wasteful. I don't know what that That's seat looks like. Point. I can I can look. I could try to find out online what what the view is going to be. My guess is I might not be able to see. The ball go over the fence, but I think that's the case for anyone. If you're hey, in, uh, I was in close. There's bleachers. I was close to actually suggesting that we have like a uh, a city field party this weekend where we go one day and we you and I go and we can go out to the Shea Bridge and we can shake hands and I could put myself amongst the bloggers. I mean, all the Mets bloggers. Did you see how many Mets bloggers? came after me after the clinching on Saturday on Twitter, how angry they were that I was happy. I never said I didn't want the team to win. That was never in my vocabulary. I just didn't like some of the things I saw, and I was pushing them to step up. That was my whole thing. I was pushing them to be great. You know, people want to sit back and accept mediocrity and believe and hope. That's not what I was all about. I was like, all right, you have a chance to do something here. Push, push to the next level. And that's what you're doing now in the playoffs. Push, push, push to the next level. Because you don't know when you're going to get a chance to be here again. Every Mets fan should know that. Because any Mets fan who was watching in 2006 was after the series with the Cardinals said, all right, nice run, let's go next year. Don't know if next year's coming. We don't know. That was disappointing how many Mets fans came after me, as if I shouldn't have been part of the celebration. I just think that, uh, you know, you kind of built up a lot of animosity throughout the year. Um, amongst Mets fans. You were very negative throughout the year. At times, it came across that uh, you would prefer that they lose and Terry Collins be fired, as opposed to what has happened, which is they've gone on to the playoffs, won the division, and he will likely get a contract extension. I still, I'll tell you what, I'd still get rid of him. still think long range is the right move. And I don't think he get. Here's what I think happens. I think Terry gets his option picked up. I don't think Terry gets an extension. You heard it here first. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously, That's I think that I, has a lot to do with how the postseason goes. You know, well, if he gets to I mean, the World Series, if, like, he's why, not going to pick up his He's not a young man. Why give him an extension even if they win the World Series? You know, there's no, there's no obligation to go long-term with people anymore. You know, the world changes very quickly. The sports world changes very quickly. If you're listening, we uh, hope to have uh, Chris Corelli, uh, at Chris underscore Corelli of uh, SNY. Join us, talk Yankees the rest of the hour. 10 o'clock, we'll shift gears for a little bit. We'll get into the Jets and the Giants. We will have Greg Prince. We're doing a lot of baseball today. We'll have Greg Prince, or hoping to have Greg Prince of Faith and Fear and Flushing um, at about 10.20, and then uh, we'll do our picks. And uh, Joe at 11 o'clock has to fly out of here because he has another uh, event. Uh, you know, So we moved it up a little early. We didn't want to cancel. Wedding. We didn't want to be a part. Wedding. We did a part a lot. Hope my hair is okay. Yeah, um, with all the wind here tonight, I, you know, I'm going to hopefully get some new profile photos, some good other photos here. I want to be tucks. I got the tucks with the bow tie and the suspenders today, and then uh, pink socks, fun pink socks. I'm also still debating on what my entrance will be with uh, the bridesmaid. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do. I have You're a couple options. Way? Yeah, yeah, of course uh, I'm in the way. That's why I got I to gotta run out of here. I got to be at the guy's apartment uh, for the drinks and, and I was the photographer like and all that kind of stuff. I was in one wedding like 10 years ago, and I hated every minute of it. And it was an Italian wedding, and it was, like, still going on at, like, 1.30 a.m., and I bolted. I was like, I'm done. I walked out. Guy hasn't talked to me since. <laughs> at what time? 10 p.m.? That's way too early. No, 2 a.m. 2 a.m. I was done. Like, 2 a.m. Oh. 
it's that's okay. okay. You can leave if, if it's 2 a.m. Oh, yeah. I, I don't like those. I like 11, 11.30, and if you're going to have an after party, like back at the hotel or something, do it at that point. Otherwise, you know, 12.30, 1 o'clock, especially not – I mean, I feel like I'm getting older at 33. You have, you know, family, friends, and parents, family, and, and, and their friends, and people are in their 50s and 60s listening to music that they haven't heard and don't know any of the artists till 1 o'clock in the morning right. is a bit much. That is a bit much. All right, quick break. When we return, Chris Corelli of SNY also uh, has, has uh, work at Yankees Unscripted will join us. We'll talk Yankees baseball, upcoming wild card game. Who does Chris want to face? Does he feel good about this team? And, Joe, the last time Chris was on, I made some ominous comments about the Blue Jays being a runaway train. And sure enough, they came true. So maybe I can make another ominous comment to put my magic on the Yankees' postseason run. I think I, I think you also had made an ominous comment that the AL East was over and that the Yankees would be crowned champion sometime in June. So that was before all those trades. Nice to be you. Nice to be you, Mike Silva. Anyway, quick break. When we return, we'll talk Yankees baseball with Chris Corelli of SNY and Yankees Unscripted right after this. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Week in Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchDogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. You know, there's going to end up being 10 teams. Ten of the thirty, so one third of the teams are going, and it's really difficult. It's a long road, you know, so that's why you see, you know, guys so happy and celebrating, and you know, from the start of spring training until now, this is what you, this is what you play for, and to be able to have a chance to, to win a World Series and get in, I mean, uh, it feels great. It's a big blessing, you know, for 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 every player to to be able to play in October and being able to be in the team where you have a chance to go into the playoffs. You know, in our case, we're going to play in the wild card game, but uh, you know. Hopefully we win that game and we continue to win ball games and, and, and go as far as we can. You can help us take a yogi this week and uh, and what he meant to this organization, not just when he played, but his post-playing days. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys that have come before us that have really set the stage for us and, and allowed us to play this great game and, and have these fans and play in this, play in this great stadium. So, uh, you know, just very thankful for that. And, um, you know, it's kind of fitting that uh, the 10,000 win, especially in the postseason burst. So we're just uh, we're excited to be a part of it. All right, so you heard some of uh, Joe Girardi's uh, math. I'm glad Joe knows how many teams are in the playoffs. And uh, some of the comments from the Yankees celebration. And joining us, Chris Corelli of uh, SNY, Yankees Unscripted. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter, at Chris, uh, at Chris underscore Corelli. He's joined us throughout the year to give his take on the Yankees. Chris, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, good morning. Uh, appreciate you waking up early to uh, join us. No problem. Good morning, guys. Nice to talk to you again. Do you have your special edition cork or your special edition champagne bottle from Steiner Sports going as we speak to you? No, no, not that I wouldn't celebrate a wild card uh, berth, uh, but I uh, I prefer to pop my own corks for uh, World Series celebrations. We are putting you on the spot. Let's start here. You want the Astros? <laughs> you want the Angels? You want? I mean, look, even uh, nobody's talking. The Twins, could the Twins still sneak into this thing? I think the Twins could still sneak into this thing. So, yeah, they um, can. Unlikely, unlikely, but, um, uh, you know, what is your preference? I mean, the game's going to be at the stadium. What's your preference? Well, that's my first preference right there, is that they actually make it so that the game's at the stadium. Uh, I know it's uh, pretty much they win one or the Astros lose one, and, it's, and that's how it works. But um, I think... 
home field for the one game is is pretty important. You know, it's it's going to have that uh, do or die you know feel to it. I think uh, your fans get behind you when you're um, in that type of a situation. They stick by you. They keep you in it. If you're kind of a little bit out of it, and they push you forward. If you're starting to take the lead and you know kind of push you through. Um, as far as which team. You know, the they, they do match up best against the Twins. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious, but I also don't think the Twins uh, wind up making it. I just, there's too many too many variables, and I think Houston's probably just going to be the team that the Yankees will face uh, in the end. Uh, and you know what? There's, uh, it's it's that, to me, this one game thing is, is a total crapshoot. Um, the, the one positive if they face the Astros is Keuchel pitched last night. So he'd be going on three days rest, and he's never done that before. Doesn't mean he won't be great. Probably could be great. Um, but they've also, you know, they got other guys. They got Casimir. They got uh, McHugh, um, who will pitch probably just as well. Um, it's it's going to be more about how the Yankees um, how the Yankees pitching is really. I mean, they're going to need if Tanaka is the guy who goes, uh, regardless of who they face, he's going to need to keep that team, you know, held to you know one or two runs probably uh, for his five or six innings, you know, before they can. You know, jump to Wilson, Batantis, and Miller, and and that's that's how they hope it it falls out. But if uh, if they can't score a few runs early on, it's it's going to be it's going to be tough because I don't I don't see any of the pitchers that they could face uh, being someone they could walk over. You know, um, even the Angels, they they could throw another they could throw a lefty uh, Heaney at them. Um, I don't know if Richards winds up for them or not, but uh, you know, I don't I don't see there being a particular matchup where I'd be like, wow, this is this is the team I really want to face. I think there's issues um with each of them really. And uh and Keiko would still, you know, make me a little bit nervous even on three days rest if that's how the Astros decided to go. Um so hard to sorry to beat around the bush there a little bit, but you know, I, I really don't see it like, you know, they they want to face any of these teams uh over the other. Chris, completely agree with you. Obviously it's a crapshoot. We don't know what's gonna happen Tuesday uh, in the Bronx and how well Tanaka will pitch if he's the pitcher. But let's say the Yankees get beyond that series and match up with the Blue Jays. They can face a team in their own division now with the new setup. Um, wasn't always the case with the wild card and the division winner uh, when they both move on to the playoffs from the same division. But how would you um, line up this Yankees rotation if, you know, beyond Tanaka um, the rest of the way, people still are unsure whether or not CC Sabathia would get a start in a best of seven series. Obviously, you have Severino and Pineda. Ivaldi is kind of slowly getting his way back. He might be available for the division series. Uh, what What do you think here? I know we're kind of assuming that the Yankees get beyond the one game playoff, but if they do, what would that rotation look like? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, if I remember correctly, if they if they try to keep things lined up, and I, a lot of it has to do with happens today too. I mean, the doubleheader today is kind of throwing a little bit of a wrench in how they how they line up. I think, but. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Pineda or Severino is, is ready for game one. Um, and then depending on, let's see, Tanaka will probably have to fit in in the third game. So if those two guys go one, two, I don't know that you want to pitch Sabathia um, against the Blue Jays. Um, you know, he's been very good since he returned. Uh, that knee brace has really helped him be able to push, you know, back down on it as he's coming through his windup, and, and it's, it's, it has made a difference. Uh, you can kind of see it, not in just the, the results, but you can just see it in his, his body language and, and the way he's going about his, his work. Uh, but that said, I mean, they destroy uh, left-handed pitchers. I mean, it, it's just, 
there's no doubt about the fact that they're just they're dangerous against righties too, but they are you know they just they will give him a problem. Um, so I think that's that would be probably Girardi's biggest decision is is you know if they slot him. Um, obviously, he'd only get one game uh, in that in that series. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it almost makes it would almost be better if the for the Yankees if the Royals uh, were their division opponent and they had to deal with uh, the Blue Jays maybe in the in the ALCS. Um, and in this way, maybe he doesn't have a problem throwing uh, Sabathia and and hope for the best. I don't know. Um, it's a really good question. I don't put see. I also don't put Nova in there, and I think Warren is a very big key to um, to that bullpen uh, if they get to a division series because um, relying on Wilson, Batances, and Miller uh, on a daily basis is even though it's the playoffs and it, it, it's going to be tough. You know that that fourth guy and Warren's been very good no matter where you put him. Um, it will make a difference. You know in a, in a in a short series and end in the LCS if they go on and, and so on. Uh, so it's, it's that CC Nova, which, which, uh, which bad pill do you want? Um, you know, if they make it that far. Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth, Chris. And uh, we have Chris Corelli of SNY, uh, also of Yankees and scripted joining us talking Yankees baseball. Warren as that third reliever with the and Miller really puts the Yankees in a position where as I go up and down the teams in the postseason, there's not a better bullpen out there. I mean, you want to call it Royals-esque? I mean, no one had the kind of season that those guys had last year, especially a guy like Wade Davis. But it is reasonable to ask, even against the Blue Jays, who sometimes can be get a little streaky offensively because they are home run heavy at times. Every team home run heavy is going to get streaky. Where if you could get the six innings at two or three runs, um, stay in a ball game. You know, seven, eight, nine, you're going to be pretty good. The Yankees against these other teams' bullpens, Houston, Anaheim. Even if you got into a series now, no Holland for the Royals. I mean, Royals are tough, but you know, there's always that soft spot. Maybe the sixth inning, if you could get their starters out, seventh inning. Uh, the Yankees could compete, and they could beat those bullpens. We've seen them explode against bullpens. Even this offense that could be, uh, at times, good or very bad. You gotta feel good about that being the formula, and that's a formula that, even though you don't necessarily feel like the Yankees are a favorite, or this is a typical Yankees playoff team where you could say, "Hey, they got as good a chance as anyone to win a championship." You gotta feel good about that aspect of the team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you kind of um, up till you know September, you felt that way about the the bullpen from you know April on. It's uh, I think they started to run out of gas a little bit end of August into September. Um, other than other than Miller, actually Miller's been spectacular. Um, Shreve has kind of hit the skids uh, completely. He's become almost unreliable, which is unfortunate because that would make them five deep, in my opinion. Uh, but having Warren in the bullpen is is certainly going to help because not only has he been very good, he can give you a couple innings. So you know, case in point, you know the wild card on Tuesday, um, regardless of where the heck they're, they're playing, if they get five, maybe five and a third, two-thirds solid innings from Tanaka, you know, and, and he's he's at a high pitch count, let's say, you know, they've got Warren. They can bring him in for a couple. they got, you know, Wilson goes longer than an inning if he needs to, and, and they'll just keep trotting those guys out just to keep the, keep the game close, you know. So I, and, I, and, and again, on, even to more the point, if Tanaka starts looking terrible after the fourth, 
and they got to keep it close. They can bring Warren in, and he's going to give you a few solid innings, hopefully at that point as well. So he's he's very versatile. He can work one inning. He can work up to three, probably even four, because you know he was stretched out. Um, he was just you know literally just taken out of the rotation last week. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a good thing to have. And then the other two, the other three guys, uh, Batantis and Miller, actually in particular, they're they. Um, they can be extremely dominant. You know, um, the Tansas has had a little bit of a slip with the home run ball recently, but he looked really good the other night. And I think you're right. I think it's, 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 uh, if they keep games close, that's what makes them dangerous because their offense can, uh, chip away when they need to. And, uh, I, I have a feeling that, you know, provided this weekend is not a complete washout. They get a couple games where some of these guys can get back up to the plate and, and find, find a groove. Um, you know, they, they can get it hot just like anybody else at this point in the season. Chris Corelli, SNY.TV. Follow him on Twitter, at Chris underscore Corelli. Does a great job covering the Yankees all season long. Weekend watchdogs, Joe Bono, Mike Silva. I think going into this year, Chris, we knew that the Yankees offensively had to have a bounce-back season from a number of guys and also did not know what the A-Rod production level was going to be when you look back now at the full year just about being completed which of those performances out of McCann and Beltron and Teixeira and A-Rod kind of surprised you the most Jeez, um I would have to say Rodriguez for sure as far as surprising um I think Teixeira's um performance was pretty surprising as well but I, I think when you consider that A-Rod missed you know hadn't been on the field for 17 months um, had a bunch of things going against him from a mental standpoint as well. Um, the guy's on reconstructed hips. And he honestly, you know, and I wrote this at the very beginning of the season, that he, it's not like he was um, putting up spectacular numbers when, you know, before the uh, the suspension. He he, uh, he looked awful uh, against right-handed pitchers. He, he seemed like he had a slow bat and, and things were just not going his way. But I you know what I think happened is they took that time and he he strengthened the areas that needed to. He he came to camp in very good health. I mean, as as good a health as you can be as 39 baseball player, right? And uh, you know that's the other thing. You know, he guy turns 40 in the middle of the season and and really didn't slow down too much until until August. Um, and then uh, it, you know, it's over 30 home runs and it's he's been key and and now he's 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 a big key because of the share being out you know he's their right-handed power source you know um against these lefties that can be thrown at them so um it, what, that's what's most surprising is how much they ended up having to um to lean on him and how much his production really mattered in the end because i didn't think it was gonna amount to too much chris big question i i saw you tweet you're at the stadium uh, i don't know if it was two weeks ago or recently yeah, last I mean, weekend, yeah. Sunday, and you had commented about how the the crowd was not really great, you know, in terms of attendance. There's been a noticeable lack of energy or enthusiasm, and I know that's been a knock on Yankee Stadium, the new Yankee Stadium, since it opened. Look, we saw that game against the Orioles a few years ago. Uh, that the you know game at Yankee Stadium, it was pretty empty. I know it was a Friday game. I think it started at five o'clock, and it was the first time a playoff game. You felt like are, are these guys into it? And meaning the fans, not the players. What are you expecting for this playing game? Let's assume it's at Yankee Stadium. I know that's still up in the air, but it looks like it's going to be. Um, what are you expecting from these fans? I don't know if the fans have really been into this um, for a variety of reasons. I just can't really put my finger on it. 
Yeah, and I don't I don't understand it either. I mean, I'm I was uh it's it was the White Sox that the Yankees were playing, but all the same, I mean, at that point, you know, the games certainly mattered. They're, you know, at that point, I think there were a couple games from from clinching a spot. So, you know, you, you kind of figure Sunday afternoon was a beautiful day. Uh it was it was pretty sparse. I mean, it was uh, uh the crowd that was there was seemingly into it, but you know, when there's only 20 to 25,000 people actually in the stands, um, you know, it doesn't, uh, in an open stadium, it doesn't sound like it does when there's 40,000. Um, and, and that's the thing is it, what, what's really interesting is that, you know, they're, they're, the ticket, the attendance figure was actually close to 40,000 people. So uh, I don't know what the general apathy is. I do expect it to be um, reasonably filled. I mean, I, I'm assuming it's a sellout, but I, I'm not so certain about that. Uh, why people don't go to the games as much because of this team, I don't know. I mean, there's, um, I guess they're not exactly the most exciting team in the world, but, um, you know, they've got, they've got some great talent, you know, and, and they, they can be very exciting. Uh, and Severino pitched that day too. I think it was another reason why I was a little surprised. You know, I'm not sure how many people have had a chance to see him and, and the guy is, he's, he's, he is exactly what they hoped he was going to be, you know? So I was, um. I was a bit surprised, but I think they'll have a good turnout. <laughs> you know, hopefully they actually get there before the game starts, so it doesn't look uh, like a you know a empty field uh, at uh, at eight you know eight ten when the, when the game kicks off. But you know that that seems to be Yankee fans uh, sometimes as well. So they just you know they filter in and you know get there when they get there. That, and that goes back to the old Yankee Stadium because I used to have tickets to that, and, and it was never filled at, at game time, uh, which I guess is. Uh, me, I like to be in my seat ready to go when the game starts. Chris, final question for me. We spent so much time in this town talking about Terry Collins and whether or not he's a good manager, a bad manager, an average manager, and what he's going to be doing in the postseason this year. But let's be honest, Joe Girardi, uh, given the payroll the Yankees have had, missed the playoffs each of the last two years, had a division lead here late in the season, had opportunities to beat the Blue Jays head-to-head, did not. Obviously, there's been injuries. The team has aged, but a lot of teams go through that. What's your just overall view on the job Joe Girardi has done? I'm not saying that he's in danger of losing his job. No one is uh, talking about that or clamoring for that. But, you know, he needed this. He needed to get back in the postseason, and he may need to win this playoff game too. Yeah, you know, um, what's interesting about Girardi this year as opposed to last, I, I, I'll tell you, I've been through those two seasons that, you know, they missed the playoffs. I, I've been an apologist of his. You know, I felt that he managed the game fairly well. Um, I felt that he did a lot with, uh, despite the payroll, uh, they, they missed, you know, some, some key people um, each of the last three years, really, uh, at various times, um, and, and kind of held it together. I mean, last year they used a multitude of people that they, they never would have had on that roster um, and, and, you know, had a 85-win season. Uh, this year, what I noticed the most about him was that if he felt a game was within his grasp, he was going to go for it, even if it meant using um, his best relievers with a four- or five-run lead, and he did it a few different times this year. And I think in the end it kind of led to some of this um, – some of the fatigue that that they've that they've undergone in September, as far as the bullpen's concerned, you know, and, and some of it's also the pitching. The, the starters just were not able to get deep into games fairly often, so he he felt like he had to bring in his 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 you know four or five best guys uh, and use them on you know what seemed like you know a nightly basis uh, on occasion, whereas he had no trust in some of the younger guys that they had you know shipping back and forth from Scranton. 
Um, it, so I think that he played a little scared sometimes, you know, and, and really tried to, to lock down wins where he had them uh, in his grasp or he felt he had them in his grasp. And, and I think in the end it, it might have might have bitten him where, you know, he could have stuck with the starter a little bit longer, um, got a couple more outs from that guy, and, and maybe eased up on the on the workload of uh, his guys, especially, uh, you know, by the time August came around, they, they were, you know, well up there in, in innings, um, as opposed to the previous season, or or as opposed to other relievers in the league, um, so that was that was like the biggest thing that I, I noticed. What I do like, and I did like about his work this year, um, was how he balanced the the um, the positional players and and their work. Um, as far as you know, he gave A. Rod some rest here and there before Teixeira got hurt. He let him, you know, he gave him a day here and there. He 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 dealt with his uh, Beltran every once in a while. Um, he he gave a day off too. McCann obviously he he did as well, um, and and it and it really did keep some of those guys fresh. It seemed like every time he gave A Rod a day, uh, he'd come back strong, and uh, so it really did matter. So I think he I think he did that very well. I just think that he really, um, you know, played a little scared sometimes with with uh, his bullpen usage, and uh, you know, otherwise I I don't complain about him nearly as much as some people do uh, on Twitter and, and so on, and, and ask for him to be fired because. You know, in the end, uh, look, they're in the playoffs. Even even the last couple of years, they they probably shouldn't have sniffed 85 wins last year, and they and they got there. So, um, that's where I kind of stand with him. You know, uh, I I certainly don't clamor for his uh, his ouster or anything like that. But he played a little bit differently this year uh, with his bullpen, which was a little surprising to me. All right, Chris, putting you on the spot. Are we going to talk to you again? Will the Yankees be in the ALDS? Is this it? Is this our coup de gras for the season? Give us. Can we put you on the spot on that one? Yeah, you can put me on the spot. If you guys uh, want me on your show uh, before the ALDS, I'll be more than willing to be on the show. Um, I, right. I think they'll be in the ALDS. Um, and you know what? Depending on who they face there, uh, I'll, I'll give you a prediction then. <laughs> All right. So we got that. Well, that, thank you, Chris. appreciate you getting up early here on a Saturday. Uh, enjoy the game on Tuesday, weather permitting, of course, and permitting that the Yankees are at actually Yankee Stadium. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again. All righty? Sounds good. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Chris. Chris Corelli, uh, SNY, at underscore Chris, at Chris underscore Corelli on Twitter. Check him out, Yankees Unscripted as well. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll get into a little football. We hope to have Greg Prince, Faith and Fear and Flushing in the uh, 10 o'clock hour. We'll go into 11 today. A little bit of uh, Audible we've run with uh, a 9 to 11 show. And if you want to give us a call, the number is 646-716-8187. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. We'll be right back. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, Weekend Watchdogs, early edition, taking up to uh, 11 today. 646-716-8187 is the number at Mike Silva Media, at Bono 611 
Check us out on iTunes, on Facebook, at the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page, and uh, you can go to weekendwatchdogs.com for the show live or on replay. So, uh, got some comments there, Joe, from uh, from uh, Chris Corelli. Did you see, and I kind of got pulled into this late yesterday, did you see Michael Kay making a stir on the, his show yesterday about Mets fans, calling them bile? Michael just cannot help himself. He loves to stir the pot. And then he stirs the pot and he runs away when people come back at him. That's the part I, mean, his I have comment a problem with. Was, I don't think his comment was outlandish at all. It's the same point I've heard a lot of people making. But, um, you know, listen, I think we had a couple of different people that were overly sensitive on Twitter uh, this week. Michael Kay was one of them, and he responded in his way, calling Mets fans vile. Um, and then, um, obviously, Brett Yormark of Barclay Center Brent showed Yormark. that he is. I've been going after that guy for a while. I've gone after, after him many, many times. And now he's showing. He went on Michael K's show and showed his sensitivity to criticism on Twitter. Oh, Mike. And then afterwards, Dom, Dom LaGreca called him tone deaf, and that is exactly what he was. Well, and, you know, um, but recap for those who may not be uh, in on that, because that kind of gets thrown in a little bit um, uh, in the mix. On yeah, the radar. So, Give the your so mark. On, uh, on Monday, obviously, Barclay Center has gone with this tradition has a new home moniker, marketing Islanders first season. And yeah, yeah tradition has a new home that they, they keep on jersey. changing things. That's why I saw John so Tavares' black, Tavar's white, black jersey hanging up in Models the other day. Right. So it was a whole bunch of things. Everyone knew the black and white jersey was coming for a long period of time. Honestly, it's a nice jersey by itself, but this idea. And he said it on the show, Mike, that the colors of Brooklyn I are black so. and white. Why? Yeah. Why? Since when? Why? Because, Again, because Jay-Z, Jay-Z said? You're right. Why? You're 100% Jay-Z right. Because Barclay Center and Jay-Z and the Nets decided black and white were the colors of the team. Now they're the colors of the borough. Um, so that right. part got me annoyed. What kind of started this whole thing was that on Monday night, the Islanders unveiled a new goal horn, okay, that was – they worked collaboratively with the MTA to recreate a subway station goal horn, and it came out, and it was universally hated by everyone. Not just Highlander fans. Hockey fans were like, that is awful. And again, these are people who don't know hockey, and they do research. How about you play that horn for one person who actually cares about the team, and they would have told you in five seconds, that doesn't work. Okay? So, it, it, and listen, you can, I understand the argument about – we need to branch out and try to find new fans to make this move viable. You're not going to attract any fans by the use of a goal horn. So what's the purpose of doing it other than trying to alienate the fans you're trying to keep? So the fans went off crazy. Twitter, social media, Facebook. I mean, SI.com wrote an article about it. Yahoo. It was everywhere. Um, and obviously there were change.org petitions. Wasn't people there something about the ice, too? Isn't there something about the ice that people don't like? Did I miss that? I thought I saw something a week and a half or two ago, people complaining about the ice at Barclays or a logo or something like that. No, I don't know. No, Maybe no, I, no, I think the ice is okay. I mean, we'll see how the ice conditions. The players will, will speak of that. But specifically for this, and he goes on. Great. He goes on. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal actually did a great job yesterday. Um, I just tweeted it out from the Isles blog account. Um, breaking down all the kind of unusual vantage points that, that are there at Barclay Center. But um, so then he goes on Michael's case show and pretty much says that uh, we're going back to the old goal horn. So they had already installed the subway station one and it made one sound in its history and they're going back. 
the thing that he went wrong on is he said, and I quote, I want to mention that is personally, I don't respect the way Islander fans approached it, how they attacked our Twitter handle, the vocabulary they use in which to reference me and our organization. Well, you know what? Yes. What business are you in? Can people use foul language yet? Here's a guy that just doesn't get it. See, Joe, I told you, Barclays is, and this, from a business point of view, I get it. Trust me, I completely get it. It's about the Barclays Center. It's about the venue and pulling these two teams, the basketball team and the hockey team, to get people interested so they could sell their concerts and their black and white Jay-Z shirts and all this other stuff. It's just, if you bring a team, here's what he has to realize. The Nets had nothing. The Nets exactly. were garbage. Completely the different. Nets you could have treat the Nets like an expansion franchise. You don't yes. need to do that with the Islanders. Right. Right. And that's the problem. I already think you're, you're pretty much, pretty much are going to uh, – not that you're going to lose. Your Suffolk County fan base is going to hang out in Suffolk County watch on TV. They're not going to go to Barclays very often. Your Nassau in County, front of me. There's a couple in front of me, and they're traveling from Suffolk. And, but to get to the preseason game, I went there. They had to leave at 445. Had to drive to Garden City and then take the train. So, I mean, these go. guys it's, are people are diehard fans. They travel. They right. go on road games. I mean, that's, that's a diehard of diehards that's going to go. But it's um, going to get tough. It's going to get tough. It, no, it's going, it's going to get tough. Here's the part that – one more part on this, because this was the part that really angered me. And, again, for a person in his position, you've got to know better. I mean, it's just, just amazing. He says – he goes, of the people that commented on their Twitter handle and voiced their displeasure with the horn, and he goes, there was an, also a petition done where 650 fans had signed, like, right away. We did, he said that we did an audit of the responses. They actually spent time, money, doing an audit of the responses and said only 30 were season ticket holders. So he said, and I quote, so my point here is it's great to comment about what we're doing and be critical of it, but I would ask all those people who signed the petition, now that you've got your goal on, to buy season seats. Are you no. freaking serious? No. Are you no. serious? No, that's so you not can't be a fan and can't care that's about what's going on with your team and how the game operations are and how the team is presented unless you buy season tickets? Your, your opinion doesn't matter? Can I ask you? Now, I'm going to put you on the spot now that you're the grand poobah of Isles Blog, an NY Isles Blog. Did you take this clown to task on Isles Blog? Oh, yeah, 100%. Good. And I hope he reads it. What you need to do, you need to take a Mike Silver approach like with NYBaseballDigest.com, may it rest in peace. And go after people. When I went after Omar, when I went after the Mets, <laughs> it's not, when I went after Bernard, I had Mike, minor league players. So? I had Tony Bernard's son come back at me. You need to take these people to task. He is a phony Brett Yormark. I don't like the brand. The Islanders should find a way out of that lease after this year and go back to Long Island. That is a Mike, garbage. He acts. Garbage. He acts. Uh, he goes, we did three years of research. Yet he pretends, not pretends, he a- a- acts as if he's, he's doing people favors, that it took research and how, how sympathetic and compassionate they were to the Islander fans to what? Keep they the weren't. jersey and the logo the same? To put the banners up? Like, these are no-brainers. Like, I'm sorry, we're not supposed to say thank you so much, Brett Yormark, for maintaining the traditions of the jersey, the logo, and putting championship banners and retired jerseys up. Oh, the same guy who played the organ is coming back. Again, another no-brainer. Like, what did you do? What have you done that's actually enhanced that tradition? All you've done is take things that were obvious to take over and do it. And do it. 
And again, the th- these are not, you can attract a fair weather basketball fan. There are people who are not into sports that would pay money to go to Barclays Center to see LeBron James come play the Nets. Or Kobe. Right? Or Kobe, or, you know, Derrick Rose if he's ever healthy, or whatever. Okay? Or the Knicks are playing the Nets. That happens all the time. I would be shocked if you're going to get a fan weather fan just to pop in five times a year to watch, you know, Flyers Islanders. It doesn't work that way in this sport. The thing that's going to attract people is the hockey. So if you concentrate on the hockey, get your players, get them out in the communities, get people to the games, and see if they get hooked on the hockey. Now that you've done your rant, I agree with you, and all I have to say is, is that I told you this was going to happen. I warned everybody. I was the bear, and, oh, Mike's negative. Oh, you hate Brooklyn. You're anti-Brooklyn. You do the PSA of me, you know, railing against the Nets. But I predicted this. With that said, here's some good news, Joe. You're... New York football giants in that, you know, I know the Eagles showed something last week because we're going to shove football. Here's the amazing part. On October the 3rd, we're shoving football into a baseball-centric show, and Brett Yormark has taken a bigger part of our time today I'm than sorry. either of those football teams will. And that's fine because it was actually an interesting little thing. And Michael Kay uh, and his stupidity, uh, which, by, which, by the way, before I get to the thing uh, about the Jets and the Giants, I, bought, I, I, tw- I stoked the fires about that uh, bet he welched on. For a few. He still owes me for that bet. And I f- personally went <laughs> to the Fan Fest in 2013 at the Javits Center to go confront him about it. And he goes, you have a, you have a pair of you-know-what to this. You know, Michael, I don't, you're nobody. You're, you're another person. You're a radio TV personality. You're not the Pope. That I, I don't, oh, you are waiting online to speak uh, to me about this? is the Pope. Now, I'll tell you Did one you hear thing. Him going off for you know I know you mentioned it the to court. Corelli court for about it's, I mean you know the SNL yeah skin, I mean that's right? what happens when your show is jumped I mean yeah that's what happens <laughs> when your show is jumped shark. I will say one thing Kay is one of the biggest people in terms of height he's a big guy big dude he's, he's a, a big, big guy and you know why he blocked me on Twitter not even over the bet because I retweeted Bob Raceman calling him Beavis could you believe that. That's why he blocked me on Twitter. I, and he goes, you called me Beavis. First of all, he does kind of have a head like Beavis from Beavis and Butthead. And I said, but, but Michael, I said, it's not my comment. Like, it's like I have to now take accountability or I have to put down that retweets are not necessarily well, it's an endorsement. It's an endorsement. No, retweet's an endorsement. Or retweet is something for people to discuss. I don't, you know, retweets are not endorsements. Why, everything Sometimes you retweet, you endorse? Is that the way it works? Or if it's of shock value. Obviously, yeah, I guess so. If it, it's something alarming that someone said. But I'll also put a comment on top of it to give my perspective. I agree with you, though. That's wrong to say to say that's the that's reason wrong. why. That's the reason. So that was that. Do you want to talk five minutes history. worth of football here, or do you want to hold it for uh, well, okay. well, <laughs> for 1040? I guess we could talk a few minutes. Well, let's, let's put it this way. You saw how important Eric Decker is to the Jets this past week. We don't know if he's playing. It doesn't sound like he's going to play this weekend. Mike, and, I wasn't. Uh, you know me last week. I was not super impressed with what the Jets did on the first two weeks. I wasn't. I felt that the Jets um, had opportunities to lose that game against the Browns. The Brandon Marshall strip after the interception. Fitzpatrick on the one-yard line, recovering his own fumble. Obviously, that's a different game. And the Colts, I think, were self-inflicted wounds. Most of the turnovers that they've got, they forced. And, listen, they clawed back into the game. It was 24-0. It ends up 24-17. But Fitzpatrick can't 
can't complete anything down the field right now, which is a big problem. And, and obviously with Chris Ivory out, they weren't able to establish the run game early. And Bilal Powell did a nice job out of the backfield when they're playing catch-up late. But I just don't know. I think, listen, this is a big game for the Jets, Mike, because the Dolphins, the Dolphins have looked as bad as anyone over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the way the Buffalo Bills shellacked them at home. Are you getting up early in, to watch this thing? Are you getting up I'm early? I'm going to be at a brunch. I'm going to have a. I'm going to be at a wedding brunch. So yeah, the game will be. Oh. Off. Is this an overnight thing? You got to stay overnight with this stuff. Well, you got to go back. Yeah, tomorrow? well, it's in it's in Rye, and then it's the after parties at the hotel. Oh. So I'm not going to drive all the way back to Brooklyn. So I'm going to oh. wake up and get the brunch the next day, and then I come home that day, and then I leave for Toronto. I'm going to Toronto for work. For four days. Oh, you could you could get so next weekend we could get the Blue Jays perspective. Like, what is the I media be, up there? Talk? I will be watching the Yankee postseason game in Toronto, so I'll actually be able to kind of give a, a mix as to you know how many baseball fans are just like into that, uh, you know, because it's really who their opponent most likely will be. So that was the Jets story. Um, I think. Listen, uh, the, I think the Jets made great adjustments at halftime last week. I think if they had Eric Decker in that game, you won't see the things that happened. Brandon Marshall was was, was focused in on by the Eagles. Um, they did some wacky things with the lateral and what have you. Yes, Fitzpatrick makes uh, you know sometimes questionable decisions, but the thing you keep hearing is that he's on from a standpoint of intelligence at the quarterback, something that Geno Smith doesn't have. Um, you know, he seems to be able to read what's going on during the game. By the way, better. just because you went to Harvard doesn't mean you're a smart quarterback. Because he made as many say, dumps. That has nothing to do with it. I know, I know. But people, I feel like, say that all the time. It's like, well, you know he's smart. Well, he he went to today. Harvard. Or he's got to be smart. Yeah. He went to Stanford. Like, just because you went to that school doesn't make you a smart person when it comes to actually instinctively playing football. There's a lot of people that probably didn't go to many classes in college that uh, are smarter game acumen than, than Ryan Fitzpatrick. That statement just bothered me. Like, oh, you know he's smart. He, you know he can kind of you know, capture the offense quickly, and he knows what to do with the ball because he went to Harvard. It has nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's some, uh, and, and, you know, look, the Eagles made their little, uh, uh, you know, their must-win, you know, they back in the uh, NFC East race. But seeing what's going on in Dallas with Tony Romo out, I think – this is a pretty big game for the Giants to get to two and two. Really big game. Really big game. Big game for the Giants. What are you looking to see out of the out of the Giants this week? I mean, they got the playing Rex. Uh Taylor, the quarterback, has done much better than anybody could have expected. Uh it's amazing how, how good he's been. Carlos Williams might be, and he's on one of my fantasy teams, might be that, you know, under the radar player that jumps out. Uh Bill's his look, long touchdown, his long touchdown run against the Dolphins. I mean, he looked like he was in another gear compared to everyone else, Carlos Williams. And obviously, the the Lashawn McCoy is a great running back, but the Giants have a familiarity with him. He's out of the game, so you know, would you have preferred McCoy there? Giants kind of know what to expect from him because they saw saw him twice a year for how many years with the Eagles against kind of an unknown quantity with Carlos with Carlos Williams, and then also Sammy Watkins is out. For the Bills, so right. they're a little bit banged up offensively. Uh, the Giants, obviously, the big the news this week was Victor Cruz, and you know, thinking that hey, can they get him back in, get him in the slot? You saw the game Randall had last Thursday night against the Redskins. If he's there and Beckham keeps doing what he's doing, that gives you a different dynamic, something else to worry about. Three wide receivers there, and uh, unfortunately, the calf injury gets reaggravated again, and now you're just wondering when and if you're going to see him. Giants had Wes Welker and uh, Hakeem Nix coming in this week, so. It's gotten to the point where they have really big concerns there. Well, that's right. They they do. And you you don't get the feeling that Cruz, uh, you're going to see him anytime soon. 
Isn't that kind of uh, the feeling you're getting? I mean, he's getting a shot. He's, he's very optimistic still, but he didn't last one full day of practice. So when you, no. when you can't get on the field for one day of practice after sitting out those weeks, uh, yeah. it makes you scared because it's going to be very – it's going to be always touch every time he tries to give it a run. 25% of the football season will be done by this mm-hmm. weekend. Four games. And we've hardly really dived into it. And if the Mets and Yankees, either one or both, make a long playoff run, we might have to put off. I mean, geez. This is the equivalent of when I put off the, uh, the hockey until after the Winter Classic. We might have to make a manifesto here and put off uh, football until after Halloween, which is amazing. In some parts of the country, that's, that's almost uh, insanity when it comes to a media point of view. So, Anyway, uh, you're listening to the Weekend Watchdog, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you up to 11 o'clock, early edition of the show today. We're going to take a break. You heard the Yankees' point of view from Chris Corelli earlier of SNY and Yankees Unscripted, uh, which is part of the Fox Sports Network. You're now going to hear, it's been a while since I've spoken to him, but you, if you're a Mets fan, you all know him, Faith and Fear and Flushing blog. He's written a couple of books, The Happiest Recap, and also a book after the Faith and Fear uh, moniker. Greg Prince will join us right after the break, and we'll talk a little bit about the Mets, the NL East, what it meant to him seeing the Mets win that division. Had a good piece about kind of the transition from Shea to City Field. That's happening, at least in his opinion, with what's been going on with the Mets. And we'll get his take on uh, you know Mets Dodgers and 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 what he sees happening over the next few weeks. So we'll take a quick break. When we return, Greg Prince of Faith and Fear and Flushing talking Mets baseball right after this. It could happen to a better organization. Um, I mean, this, they pre we, we 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 talked about being patient. The ownership was patient. Sandy was patient. Uh, and, and hopefully everybody enjoys this for a while. People say a lot of things, and you know, for the last thing, last thing I ever want to do is not be out there with these teammates. Um, you know, I've done everything, everything I can to, to stay healthy, to be here with these guys, and uh, this is pretty surreal. It's unbelievable to be able to do this with this group of guys. I mean, just uh, a phenomenal feeling, and uh, something that I can't be more proud. I mean, to be able to be a part of this. This organization, be able to do this for these fans, uh, for the city of New York, for this organization, just uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. And those were uh, the words of uh, David Wright, Matt Harvey. You heard some of the, uh, I don't know what jam that was. I sound like an old fart thing, what jam that was. Now, like Nene, you don't know how to do the I whip? I have no idea, no. But anyway, joining us, uh, it's been a while since I've talked to him, but joining us here on the Weekend Watchdog is... Uh, Greg Prince from Faith in Fear in Flushing. Uh, Greg, you can follow him on Twitter, at Greg underscore Prince. Greg, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Good to be here. So, Greg, it was interesting. I was thinking of of uh, some of the guys that I've been, you know, I've met at the, at the ballpark and done, you know, blogger events and obviously, you know, having started doing this baseball blog and, you know, when I've tried to get into media, you know, baseball has been the first, you know, love here, so to speak. And um, I thought back to the other NL East championship seasons. Forget about World Series and things like that, because this is the first phase of this process. And I think at, I don't know if you agree with this, because I, you know, I don't go back to 73 and 69 and the unlikeliness of maybe of those two. But when you look at 86, 88, even when they made the playoffs in 99, 2000, uh, 2006, which was that wild magic carpet ride where everything went right for quite some time until Game 7, this was not your typical Mets season where you built up to this NL East, it almost was, I'm really surprised, Greg, that we're here talking about the Mets NL East championship, because late July, especially after that San Diego game, 
um, I figured we would be talking football and, uh, you know, who's going to be the next match, Mets manager. So what was going through, uh, you know, your mind as you're counting down those outs there on uh, Saturday afternoon? Well, it it certainly was a an unorthodox route to a division championship. I mean, the, the Mets did win 11 in a row in April and for a few minutes seemed destined, and then all the injuries and the lack of hitting and the lack of reinforcements took over, and it did seem to be characteristic to watch the Mets sort of drift from the top of the division, and yeah, you you, you did sort of reach a nadir there in late July, and then they, they just went into the kind of overdrive we haven't seen from them in many a year, and honestly, by the time it came time to clinch, it was hard to believe that they ever weren't in first place. They had so uh, throttled the rest of the division, especially the Washington Nationals, who never turned into the threat we thought they were going to be, or they certainly didn't keep it up uh, after you know a brief surge uh, somewhere in the middle of the season. So, uh, you know, in terms of the 2015 team, it all made sense on September 26th. Uh, you know, looking at it against the the, the great sweep of uh, of Mets history and and the teams that have gone to the postseason. Uh, you know, when this team is going well, I'd, I'd put it up against anybody. Uh, when this team isn't going well, we, we see that they can be swept by the Philadelphia Phillies. So um, I, I think this team has the potential for greatness. It has the potential for disappointment. But I think you could say that about any team uh, that, that, that has uh, at least one, if not uh, more games ahead of it. Uh, we know the Mets have at least three games ahead of them after the season ends. So uh, yeah, it was an exciting ride, and uh, you know, I, I, I think the, the thing I take away is we, we use the word pennant race a lot, and really by the middle of August it didn't feel like a pennant race. It felt like a romp, and you know there were a couple of moments where they, they sort of had to make their stand, and they did. And uh, in, in that sense, it, the, the, the year it reminded me most of was uh, was '69. I mean, that was a they, they had a. Uh, a series at the end of the year, everybody pointed to against the Cubs. This is going to be it. This is going to decide it. Well, by then, the Mets had put the division away for more than a week. And uh, the Cubs had fallen away, so it's sort of like what we have this weekend. So uh, hope, hopefully we, we can replicate the, the next part of 69 in the next few weeks. Greg, you know, this um, going into the postseason, it's hard to really know what the Mets' ceiling is. You, you you watch some reports and you read things about how the, this team is geared for a long playoff run, could be the team to beat with a combination of both the playoffs, uh, both the uh, pitching, and obviously the timely hitting, and Cespedes in the middle of the lineup, and Duda got hot, and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you have guys that haven't pitched in the postseason before. You have a bullpen that's shaky after Familia, and you have a lineup right now that is streaky at best. It's going to face some of the two of the best pitchers in baseball to start off. So, you know, what's your what's your gut say about this team? Is it built for a long run, or is it kind of a wait and see, and they might be lucky just to get out of this first round? Um, it's a very good question, because I, I think in, in 10 different playoff markets uh, by Monday morning or Tuesday morning, if this thing needs an extra day to be settled in, in some precincts, every fan and every reporter is going to feel that way. I don't think there is a clear-cut team of destiny out there or a team that, that looms so prominently on the landscape that it can't be beaten. I don't think there's a team out there that 
can't put it together. Uh, you know, the, the Mets, you, you want to say they'll go as far as their pitching will take them, but all it takes is, is, is a couple of high-scoring games to disabuse you of that notion. The Mets are capable of scoring a lot of runs. So, you know, where, where we sit six days from the beginning of the NLDS, it, it feels a bit like a crapshoot. But uh, Gr- Grinke and Kershaw notwithstanding, I'll, I'll take my chance uh, with, with the Mets' dice <laughs> and, uh, and, and just be happy they were invited to the crapshoot. I, I certainly uh, d- don't, don't think they're, they're out of it before it begins, I, and I don't think they're a lock. Um, I'll probably change my mind 50 or 60 times between now and, and the time a first pitch is thrown and then overreact to every pitch that is thrown. But um, I'm glad that there's baseball after uh, after Sunday here. That uh, I, I think is, is, is something that's just sort of set, setting in. Usually this weekend is, is the time I find myself in, in a state of deep reflection and sorrow over, uh, wow, 162 games are over and now the long winter yawns in front of us, and when in fact, uh, the, hopefully, the best part of the season is starting. Greg Prince, Faith and Fear and Flushing, joining us, giving some uh, perspective uh, about the Mets NL East Championship from last week and the upcoming series against the Dodgers. Greg, one of the things that you've talked about and most Mets fans have talked about is City Field uh, comes into existence in 2009, and nothing but negativity. Madoff and injuries and empty ballparks and you know, you know, overpriced seats at some point was was talked about, and at times that place was like a mausoleum. I do remember covering for uh, the local ESPN affiliate uh, two years ago, the last day of the regular season in 2013, when they had Mike Piazza Day, uh, putting him in the Mets Hall of Fame. How wild that crowd was! How nice the environment! How you said this is what it could be about took a little longer than everybody wanted to pass that day to get City Field back to where it is, but you wrote a piece on the blog about how now with this NL East Championship, but now after seeing some of the games at City Field against the Nationals um, and how hyped the crowd was that you're ready to put Shea Stadium behind you. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think you know Shea Stadium closed seven years ago, but I think it lingered in the Mets fan consciousness for a long time because you had moments you could point to at Shea Stadium. You had sustained moments you could point to at Shea Stadium. And there was just something emblematic of the Mets. You, you knew who played there, and uh, there, there was never any question. Uh, City Field, other than a night here and a day there, uh, it had nothing go on within its walls that, that you, you took away and said, you know, those are the Mets. That, that's what we want to remember uh, again, you know, with with, with the occasional exception. Uh, I think City Field ne- needed to have a season like this for us all to kind of move past the idea that it somehow doesn't feel like home and that it will never really work for us the way Shea did. I think as soon as that national series took place at the end of July, beginning of August, we learned that it's the team and the fans and the synergy when things are, I don't want to just say when things are going well, because that makes it just sound simply, uh, you know, we're all a bunch of front runners, but uh, I, th- I think everybody brought a lot of heart to that series on, on both sides of the, uh, of the railings, shall we say. And I, I, I think that's kind of set the tone for what the next two months would be. And just, you know, random Tuesday nights in the ballpark since that moment, City Field, has been more alive than I ever thought it would be. 
And it certainly helped me put Shea Stadium once and for all in the rearview mirror. I guess I, I always had this lingering sense that, you know, wouldn't it wouldn't be nice if Shea could come back, which I knew, of course, was not going to happen, but it, it just sort of sort of worked there on the edge of my consciousness. And now I just kind of put it aside, said that was that was great, but that was history. We are, we are now living in the present, and it's not a bad place to be. And, and I hope we discover in the, in the coming weeks uh, more great things to talk about uh, where uh, things that we've seen at City Field are concerned. Weekend Watchdogs, Joe Bono, Mike Silva, chatting with Greg Prince. You know, I don't want to think that the Mets just have house money at this point. I think, you know, when you looked at where this team was in July and the fact that they won the division and won it by this great margin here and that the last week of the season has been meaningless games in September, at the same time, I don't think they have to approach this as the innocent climb. I mean, look at 2006 as an example. And even in 1999 and 2000, the Mets' history, they, they haven't had these long extended periods of going to the postseason year after year after year, like the Dodgers have five years in a row and what the Cardinals have done, and obviously the Yankees. I, I think down deep, some Mets fans would be happy to say, well, this was obviously a hugely successful year because they won the division and made it to the playoffs. And I'm not saying it's not, but these opportunities can be extremely fleeting, Greg. Yeah, we sure learned that in 2006. Uh, you know, the, the thing I remember about 2006 was not sorrow so much as excitement because when it was over, even though they lost in heartbreaking fashion, I said, you know, that's okay because we're coming back next year. And uh, we, we, we got almost to the World Series next year. We're going to the World Series, and it didn't happen. And that's just sometimes how it goes again the the whole thing is a little more of a crapshoot now because you have 10 teams um you know this team is capable i've i've heard people who know a lot more than i do you know the people who have played against the mets uh the last two months you know players who who probably know what they're talking about saying that this team should be favored uh, whether it's the pitching whether it's the offense it it, it reminds me actually uh, the 2003 Marlins, who are, are sort of a forgotten champion at this point, but I, I remember hearing uh, lots of whispers uh, as August became September and got into October saying, uh, despite the fact that there were a lot more glamorous teams elsewhere in, in that postseason, said, watch out for the Marlins. They have more talent than anybody has. They have more pitching than anybody has. And the Marlins wound up beating the, the Giants, Cubs, and Yankees. Um I don't know that it's a directly analogous situation, just what I thought of. Uh, of course, you know, you never know. I, I keep going back to the beginning of the playoffs last year. There were 10 teams in it. They they all looked good to somebody, and you wound up with the two wild cards in the World Series. So you you, you just never can tell. But I, I think this team can, can go far, and if they don't, it, I don't – think it's been an unsuccessful season and if they do then it's a wonderful season for the ages in mid terms and and again it's it's just exciting to be on the precipice of finding that out as opposed to packing it up and going home Greg last question before we let you go um what's coming up on Faith and Fear and Flushing I know that obviously talking about playoffs and I'm sure you'll be at one of the, I'm assuming you'll be at one or both of the home games whether it's 3 and 4 or 1 and 2 or whatever Give us an idea of what they can expect from you. 
Oh, well, we, we have a game this afternoon that that wasn't scheduled. So uh, at, at some point uh, uh, between the, the last out of that game and the first pitch of the night game, uh, I'll be writing something about that game. Uh, probably uh, Sunday night into Monday morning we'll have uh, a, a reflection on, on what has been my, my favorite uh, slot on the, uh, the baseball calendar every year, which has been closing day, uh, a personal favorite of mine. I think I've been to about 20 in a row. Uh, except this is more like the, instead of closing, this is more like the door is ajar day, because uh, they're not closing the ballpark and we're not putting away our Met fandom. So uh, as, as far as that, you know, you, you get to Monday and we don't play until Friday. Uh, I think we'll be as going crazy as anybody else, speculating on what is to come and keeping an eye on on uh, the rest of the postseason, just because we're a part of it now. So. Um, you know, we're going to roll with the punches like everybody else. And, yeah, you, uh, you know, should be out there for the first home game, possibly the second home game. And uh, I hope the, either I am at the first World Series game at uh, City Field or that I am in front of a television for it, and I hope that it is in October of 2015. All right. Well, Greg, thank you for joining us early this morning, giving us a few minutes of your time and talking about baseball. Be well. Let's do it again, all right? Thank you very much, Mike. That's uh, Greg Prince, Faith and Fear and Flushing, giving us the uh, fan perspective. And uh, those guys have been through a lot. I think, again, it goes back to, I think they started their blog somewhere around 2005. And all that stuff doesn't matter anymore, Joe, like I said, because it's on to the postseason. A quick uh, couple of uh, addendums from earlier in the show about the Mets. I saw that uh, Adam Rubin tweeted that uh, if, uh, I think Stephen Matz took some uh, medication for his uh, back, and it sounded like Terry Collins is motivated to start in game four if he can get in uh, 90 to 100 games, uh, excuse me, 90 to 100 pitches in an instructional league game. Of course, Terry Collins is a Terry Collins flip flop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I haven't seen a flip flopper like this since uh, John Kerry in the 2004 election. And uh, now, if they don't get home field, it's not an end all be all. I think Terry should run for office with the flip flop. He'd be a good presidential candidate because he tells everybody what they want to hear, depending on the day of the week. I don't really like hearing that, but it looks like with Granke and Kershaw going the next couple of days, the Mets are going to have to sweep the Nationals or else, I mean, if you listen to Joe, it'll be 10.30 start, and we'll uh, certainly need a lot of coffee for next Saturday morning show at 10 a.m. We'll be uh, we'll maybe be in, uh, L, you know, watching the Mets in L.A. next Friday, and Joe will get what he wants, which is to go to Barclays Center. That's have right. Brett Yormark, I mean, that's have Brett not what Yormark I want. on his leg and tell him that it's raining, but Joe will be a good Islanders fan and take it. And then he'll come home and watch the Mets in L.A., and he'll be happy because home field is not as important as the first game at Barclays Center, which is what you've made abundantly clear on Twitter. Mm, it's not abundantly it's clear. clear. It's not. That's not what I've been saying at all. Um, I'm just saying that it's, it's a lousy situation to be in, that if you have something circled on your calendar for so long and, um, you know, you spend money, you invest in it, and uh, then you realize that you may not be able to go. That's it. I'm so – I've got to tell you. I'm so not interested in talking football today. <laughs> I got to tell you. I don't know. It's been the first time. I just, I mean, I'm into the fantasy football and everything, but are you in, have you been into this NFL season because of the baseball and everything? The hockey uh, I'm really haven't been into it. I haven't either, Mike. It's a combination of a few things for me. It's a combination of um, <laughs> like real world work stuff, you know, like kind of getting in the way to be consumed you, you during are, the week with NFL football. You covered a couple of Fox games, right? I was so. at both games. I was at I was at the uh, Giants Falcons game, and I was at uh, 
Jets Eagles last week as well. So I, I've you, been at, I've been at send you anywhere last year, Fox, right? Last year was one of those lighter schedules. Uh, yeah, it was only a few games, only two games last year. It depends a lot on what the matchups are and how well the teams are doing. So, you know, as the teams, if they have good years and the games are marquee matchups, I mean, I think, you know, Giants-Patriots will be one that I'll definitely go to. Jets-Patriots will probably be one. You know, Giants-Cowboys is always an attractive matchup. We'll see uh, what the Cowboys situation is and where the Giants are. Uh, I think this is a bigger week for the Giants and the Jets. I mean, the Jets at 2-1, and one, obviously a divisional matchup, and, you know, they're 2-0 and oh and 2-0 oh in the AFC right now. But for the Giants, you know, last year they were 0-2, oh and they beat the Texans at home, won that Thursday night on the road, and they were 2-2 two and two going into that game against the Eagles. And that's the game where they got shut out, played miserably, and Victor Cruz, you know, tore his Patel attendant and was out for the year, and the season really never recovered. The Giants' schedule after this game, is there's a path to, to being 5-3. and three. There's a path to, to doing some real good stuff for this year and taking advantage of some of the injuries that have happened elsewhere around the NFC uh, if they can get to 2-2. Two and two. And uh, I think on the road is a tough game. I know what the Patriots did to the Bills' defense, but the Bills' defense is still pretty darn good. Um, so it, it does concern me. I think it's a game that I don't think they're going to win. Deep down, I don't think the Giants win this game. So hopefully they can surprise their fans and pick up a victory on the road in Archer Park, which is going to be a crazy scene as always. Um, but I think they have a real opportunity to turn the season around if they get to 2-2. Two and 1-3 two. and three certainly makes it a lot more difficult. You, uh, you have any interesting conversations in your uh, two weeks of covering football the, this year? Any interesting interviews you've done? I know you try to get some uh, of the post-game well, reactions. Post-game stuff, the coolest thing was... Um, Got Julio Jones on. That's a good uh, get. After yeah, that was a big. That was a very big get. I got Julio Jones on after the. Did you get Falcons bonus Giants? Giants for that? They should. If they I was should Fox, give I'd give you some bigger bonus names. On that one. You know what it is? There's a new executive producer taking over there, and and the guy who had previously been there is moving on. He's got taking a job in Denver. Mike Coover, who I've been working with for ten years there, and Coover knows how it works. He knows what the New York market is and how crazy it is to get guests. So he's always like. The top guys we're not going to likely get. So give me, like, the middle linebacker that had 10 tackles. Give me the number three wide receiver that scored a touchdown, and he's always cool with it. This is a new guy. He's, he's shooting for the moon. So he's like, yeah, Matt Ryan would be great, Julio Jones. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Matt serious? Ryan, you're the quarterback. You're right. He's but Julio, but Julio, you, was, Julio was not there. Not a knock on you, but you need to come to Jesus yeah. with this guy. Yeah, so Julio Jones, he did his interviews. And uh, he kind of was just at his locker still, and it kind of the rest of the Atlanta media had kind of moved on to something else. And I, some of them I told him it would be a big help to me, and he said he did it. Um, but my funniest moment was the, the first question reporters asked, asked him was, was uh, Julio, take us through that great catch. And he, he looked at them, he smiled, and he goes, which one? You know, so, uh, I mean, that's the kind of hearing he's having. That's the modern, and you apparently know what, though, Joe, that's the hearing. modern. He lost his hearing. The, He'd swap jerseys with Odell Beckham Jr. post game, but Beckham does that like after every game with the other teams like top wide out, and uh, kind of lost his earring. So I don't know if he got it back. They had to go back. They actually sent someone I think back onto the field to <laughs> to see if the diamond was around. Where's his? I mean, did he wear? He was wearing his earring on a field. Is that what he was looking for? Yeah, these guys definitely. Yeah, these guys all wear their earrings. They do it all the time. That's stupid. I don't know why they. I know your, your ear. Could, I mean, your ear's not going to close. Your hole's not going to close up over. You know, is wearing an earring still a thing? I thought that was kind of like a a, a '90s thing. That's still a thing. Mm, yeah, the double studs. I think are definitely a thing uh, still. I, I had an earring because for a I don't bit. see it as much anymore. Late '90s. I don't see it. Yeah. Do you have, like you had an earring? Do you have a loop? Do you have anything? No. 
Never you had got a tattoo, though. Know. You got tattoos, though. I have multiple tattoos. And probably looking back, I probably shouldn't have gotten those either. But, you know. So like my, like I had my, I probably shouldn't have got my earrings, but, uh, the, the, you know, it closed. You had an earring? <laughs> you had I had a, like a stud in my left, my left ear, like from. I'm sure it's closed up, right? 96. I got it like eighth grade, like the last week of eighth grade. Oh, a lot of my friends were doing it. Uh-huh. And I got it, I got like the endorsement of my parents. I wasn't like going rogue and. You know, just gotta be a you know, rebel. Uh, you know, they did it with me, and then I think I probably stopped wearing it because then, like, it, at Zavarian at our high school, uh, you know, I couldn't wear it during the day. So you take it out, you put it back on the weekends, and then eventually it was like, what's the point here? All right. Well, anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll do our NFL picks. We'll have Mojo pop on where Mojo is down south, not talking football till after Halloween. Is uh, you know, you might have to be burned at the stake for doing something like that in radio or media. So, anyway, weekend watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, early edition, taking up to 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. We'll be right back. The most magnificent. Mojo. Marvelous. Mojo. Magical. Mojo. Memorable minute of your morning. Oh, God, please. You guys don't have enough minutes on this show. The Mojo Minute. I mean, we're not yelling fire in a theater here. With Jim Mojo Morrison. Who the heck knows? This isn't an exact science. Only on the Weekend Watchdogs. Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. Mojo! It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Sova and Joe Bono. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, Weekend Watchdogs. I really don't know. It's funny because when I saw that mess music in the background during the champagne celebration, I had no idea what that song was. <laughs> and like about 90% of what Joe puts on here, I have no idea who played it. I, I remember them. I've heard them on the radio, but I, I, have, I have no idea. All right. Anyway, joining us you know, somewhere down south, hopefully uh, Hurricane Joaquin hasn't swept any part of his humble apartment, abode, uh, town, neighborhood away. I don't know if he has any kind of uh, boards up on the house. It's our buddy Jim Mojo Morrison. Mojo, Mike and Joe, what's going on? Are you there, Mojo? Maybe. I know he's there. Maybe, maybe he got locked out of the uh, – maybe he's in the press box again. He got locked in, locked up again. That's right. Did you hear Mojo got locked out? He got locked in. Mojo, one more shot before we have to get you on another time. Are you there, Mojo? Can you hear me now, guys? Oh, there I'll you go. We got Mojo. I guess Hurricane Watson got you. No, What's you know that? what? I had the mixer on the on the uh, my 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 little setup here. I had the mixer thing on mute because I was working on something, and I shut the microphone uh, thing off. So I forgot I didn't have it on. Uh, anyway, how are you guys? It's uh, wet, rainy. I did a high school game yesterday. I, I had to stand on the field to do post game interviews, and I've never been so wet. I might as well have been in a swimming pool. That's how hard it was raining here last night. It was incredible. And all I had was a windbreaker on, and it was, oh, man, I still have the chill uh, and from last night. I'm trying to get home, and that weather was crazy. you got an early day tomorrow. Jets at 9.30 a.m. You can't get sick for this big matchup, this big uh, AFC East matchup in uh, jolly old England. No, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, Jets 9.30 start. I have a uh, show right after that uh, live from a uh, – local establishment. I'm going to be doing a pre- and post-game show uh, for the, one of the local radio stations here that actually carries Redskin football. Uh, that was once a staple 
uh, here in the Carolinas, even though it's now Panther country, so they still do it. And I was approached uh, based on my Jets work uh, back in New York with the pregame, postgame show up there. So I'm going to be doing that for the next couple of weeks, uh, see how it goes with them. So I'll be uh, sitting in a uh, tavern at about 8 a.m., getting set for Jets uh, football and getting set for a live uh, pre- and post-game show uh, uh, following uh, Redskins football. Doc Walker from the uh, Skins, uh, the former NFL tight end, will be joining me on that pre-game show. So it'll be, it'll be fun. Well, that's a big uh, get. Is that a recent get? How'd you, how'd you get Scott Walker? Doc Walker. Rick Doc Walker. from Scott Ryan. Right, not the uh, Republican uh, candidate. Uh, yeah, I'm out of the presidential uh, Mike, you always question me. I mean, when I told you, uh, when I first met you, I was bringing Joe Namath on my first show uh, for Jets Inside of Game Day. Everybody laughed at me at the meeting room that day. And uh, who who do we get to show up on a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Uh, for the first interview of that show? So, you know, Mojo, Joe, you've got to reach for the stars. You know, every once in a while, you got to take the moon, but you always got to reach for the stars. You get. I, I commend you, Joe, on that Julio Jones get. That's a great get for you. The, uh, uh, 20, the 23, 24-year-old Joe Bono might have been intimidated. You know, oh, might have been. Uh, These guys I had, are clowns. Uh, my, my, my biggest, clowns, my biggest get, I don't care anymore. I'll talk to any of I mean, These guys, I'm like, you're 26 years old. I'm not going to be intimidated by you regardless of any kind of money you make. Herman Edwards I got when I was, and I actually got in trouble for it because um, he did his press conference, and he was walking through, and I just asked him. He said yes, and he did it right in front of him, and Ron Colangelo who was the Jets PR person at the time, he didn't, he didn't really know me. He was like, I was just, you know, I was 19, 20 years old. And he looked at me and he started, he wrote my name down. He was looking at my credential. And I had to write like an apology letter, like ridiculous. Because I was still at well, him. To Herm Edwards? Well, that's, to the, you know, that's, that's, I didn't go that's through the, the Jets PR staff to get the coach. That's like, the biggest problem to today is the PR staff. They limit these guys' access. You know, it's like I do Panthers stuff during the week. And you can't go up in the locker room to talk to Cam Newton. You've got to wait till he goes to the podium, and you can ask him his questions with eight other people standing there. You're not allowed to do one-on-ones. You have to request them three weeks out in advance to sit down and do a one-on-one with him. I mean, the Jets do that with their quarterbacks as well. It's a pain in the neck sometimes where you just say to yourself, let me just, like you said, Joe, get the linebacker. I, you know, I got David Harris for the year I did the pregame. The last year I was up in New York. And David and I had a great relationship. He, he's, you know, a, a, a name on the defense that people like, like him. And, you know, he gave you everything you needed to, go, to get, uh, just like, you know, a quarterback would give you. I mean, it was, it's just, you know, who you get uh, sometimes that these PR guys try to limit uh, where you, you know, you get them and how you get them. We got the picks now. So what do we got? We have uh, six and three. We got Joe at uh, Mike and Mojo at six and three. And um, Joe, what are you? What is your what is your record now? Um, four and five. Four and five. All right. Mojo six and three. Yeah, he had a bad first two no. weeks. No, no. Mojo is five and four. He was three and zero oh last week. He's now over five hundred. Five and four. Two and one in the uh, Mike in the Silva What is scatter shot pick in the midst of moving from one house to another house, from one studio to another studio? As the best record goes to show, there's no method and no logic to gambling. Mojo, why don't you kick us off today? You kick it off. You've had a, a rough night standing in the rain talking to uh, a bunch of 18 or 17-year-olds. So you kick it off. Okay, I'm going to start out. I was 3-0 last week. I'm going to go with my uh, lucky pick. I was going to take the Jets, uh, but I'm not going to go near that game. I'm going to go with Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they looked, you know, I went against them on Sunday night in 
uh, Green Bay. I'm going to take them this week at Cincinnati. I usually don't like to go with Kansas City. They're getting four on the road. Uh, Cincinnati is playing really well. This is one of those games where the world is going to like Cincinnati. So I'm going to go with my lucky pick on the Chiefs, getting four. Uh, Don't be surprised if you see Andy Reid maybe pull off a road upset in this game. Uh, My light pick, uh, and this is not a horror pick, I'm going to go with the Washington Redskins. Uh, With ten days to prepare, they're getting three points at home uh, against their arch rival, the Eagles, who everyone's going to love because they beat the Jets last week. And you know, but if you look at the second half, they were shut out uh, by Todd Bowles after he made the adjustment. This is a team that uh, does not hold on to the ball very much during the game. Redskins like to maintain ball control and run the ball. It's going to be a very messy situation there in our nation's capital. Take the points, the division matchup. Uh, I'm going to go with the Redskins probably uh, to cover, but also maybe to win the game outright. And then my underdog special, my love and my uh, light of the week, take the Texans, plus six and a half against the Falcons. Uh, Matty Ice, 3-0, and uh, has trailed in each one of the games. Uh, Texans have a good defense. I'm going to go with the Texans taking the points uh, to possibly win outright in Atlanta, but to cover the game. Uh, so those are my three picks uh, for this week. Joe, why don't you uh, do uh, the second round here? All right, I'll start off. I love the Broncos. They are minus six and a half at home against the Minnesota Vikings, who are two and one. Broncos undefeated, despite that in questions about Peyton Manning after week one. Seems undefeated, keeps on making big plays at the most important times, had his best game of the season, week three, 324 yards. Obviously still connecting with Emmanuel Sanders, still connecting with Demarius Thomas. They've got to figure out that running back situation. But most importantly, I'm impressed with the Denver defense. And I think the Denver defense stymies Adrian Peterson and what he's done, although he had 260 yards over the last two weeks. So my love pick is the Broncos minus six and a half. Um, My like pick is the Carolina Panthers, another undefeated team. They're only favored by three on the road against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bucks are 0-9 at home under Lovey Smith. Um, Doug Martin hasn't gotten back on track, and I'm not sure exactly how Carolina's doing it, but they're playing well, and, and Cam Newton's playing really, really good football. So I'll take the Panthers. I like them, minus three. And then my luck pick, I'll go to the Monday night game. I just think it's way too many points. The Lions are getting nine and a half points on the road at Seattle. I know the Lions are 0-3, but that team still has a lot of talent. And uh, Seattle has a lot, lot to figure out. I'm not impressed if they shut out the Bears and Jimmy Clausen. I'm not going to be impressed by that. Marshawn Lynch is banged up, might not play. So uh, my luck pick is the Lions getting nine and a half on the road Monday night. All right, the hot and leading the pack, Mike Silva, will finally take the picks and round it out here. I love the New Orleans Saints. I know all of you think I'm crazy probably for saying that. They have to it. break the home losing streak. I like the New Orleans Saints despite the fact that they are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I know Dallas, even without Tony Romo, could be dangerous. New Orleans has had a lot of issues dating back to last year. Um, I like the New Orleans Saints. Um, I'm go- I mean, I love the New Orleans Saints. I shouldn't say I like I love the New Orleans Saints. That's my love. Like Seattle, I told you guys last week that the Seahawks, despite being 0-2, they were an angry team with some maybe a little bit of turmoil. They're at home. They're playing Detroit. Detroit stinks. They're a 10-point favorite. I expect another blowout by the Seahawks to get back to 2-2, two and two, right the ship, and quell any talk of a Super Bowl hangover. They're back to 500 after this week. And then I'll round out with uh, my lucky. And here's the thing. We don't know who is going to start at quarterback. 
uh, for Indianapolis. It could be Andrew Luck, and, and Coach Pagano thinks it's going to be Andrew Luck, uh, but it could be Matt Hasselbeck, and that would not be uh, uh, you know, necessarily a good thing for the Colts. But after watching them against the Jets, Jacksonville is a 7.5-point favorite no matter what. You know that Luck is going to be a bit com- – Yeah, 7.5-point underdog. You know that Luck is going to be a bit compromised. I could see it still being a bit of a close game. I could see Jacksonville hanging in there. They have some interesting offensive players. So my lucky, I'm going to take Jacksonville and the seven and a half uh, uh, with the underdog at seven and a half points. So that is I like that. That's a good pick, I think. And if anyone makes money on that, just send the checks to or send me a link to PayPal. Yeah, Mike's got to pay for his. Uh, Mike's Joe, I have one question. Fordham Lane twelve at Lafayette tonight. What do I do? Uh, Fordham. Lafayette's what, one and two? One and three? By the way, Mojo made a comment to me off air that this high school football field that he's done some games down in North Carolina the past few weeks put Fordham's home field to shame. Joe, with all the football success, we've had the coach. You were kind enough to get the coach on the air with me on ESPN Radio at Long Island. How can Fordham not upgrade their facilities? They yes, did upgrade so their facilities. They have they have they have uh, field turf now. When I was there, they had mud. <laughs> so they well, actually well, have they, upgraded. They, they just put this state of the art field turf in for a high school field here. It's unbelievable. I'm standing on it. I felt like I was I was on a like it was like a cloud. It was just unbelievable that they spent all this money. And I said to Mike, I said I've been on some college fields. You know, and I used the Fordham one because my brother went there, so I went to a bunch of games uh, when he was at Fordham. And I said, I, you know, you see some of the those you know lower division uh, one schools and the facilities they have, and some of the high school fields that you cover games on, even the press boxes. You know, I'm you know in a press box yesterday with heat and air conditioning, and and they feed you. They put you know sponsors out there that bring food into the game. It's incredible what they do on Friday nights down here uh, for high school football. It's an amazing experience uh, if you ever get a chance to do it. Mojo, final comments. Um, well, what do you got you know, for I think, we... I think with the Mets, I think with the Mets, you know, I was listening to your guests. I think the Mets are the fifth team in this uh, tournament. If you're going in, I mean, you've got a, a pitching staff that you don't know what you're going to get. You know, you've got great talent in in the pitchers, but. Are you going to get good Noah, bad Noah? Are you going to get healthy Matt uh, or unhealthy Matt? Are you going to get pitch count Harvey or not pitch count Harvey? And are you going to get the Grom, hit the wall with the Grom, and you've got no bullpen other than Familia? I mean, you're not going to use the Tory method of eight-inning starter and then Familia because anything else before Familia is basically rolling the crap shoot, as your guest likes to say, the dice. And, you know, right now this team, after their, their big offensive output, They've kind of reverted to the pre-August first mess uh, over the last couple of weeks since they wrapped this thing up. As far as trying to swing the bats and stuff, are they going to get that back against Kershaw and Granke in a short series? I don't know. Is Terry capable of playing small ball? I don't know. I mean, with that being said, you're going to be there with you know with bated breath rooting for for them. But you know, I think the Mets. This is a good year for them. Nobody expected them to be in the postseason this year. I think we should be happy with this year. Root like crazy for them, but I don't want to hear any of the negativism if they don't get out of the first round against the Dodgers because I think right now that they're the fifth team in this five-team tournament in the, in the uh, National League. I mean, if they go and play the Cubs or they go and play the Pirates in the NLDS, 
they haven't beaten either of those teams this year. So I think that you just be happy with what we have, root for them like crazy, and uh, hope that we uh, advance into the uh, next round uh, after we get the Dodgers. I, I think that the Mets fans need to go in there with cautious optimism uh, and realistic uh, approach to those postseason, looking at this team right. as you have uh, going into the uh, you know, playoffs. All right, Mojo, got to run. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll see how we work out with our picks. Joe? Another successful show, and next week we'll have the coffee, the crust in our eyes, and, you know, since you know it's going to be a 10.30 start, I guess, uh, you know, we'll have to go with that. <laughs> you can come with All me right. to the Islander game and then come back to the place. We'll watch it together. Yeah, yeah we'll see Keep about over. that. I want to thank Chris Corelli of SNY. I want to thank Greg Prince of Faith and Fear and Flushing. Of course, I want to thank Mojo. Listen to the show live or replay at WeekendWatchdog.com. At Mike Silver Media, at JBono611 is the Twitter feed. And you can check us out on iTunes as well as the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. Hey, enjoy the playoffs this week, everybody. Enjoy the NFL, and uh, Joe and I will see you next week.